it's common knowledge for anybody who studies the data that the, the moon cycles affect the stock markets. Yeah. That the stock market moves historically in Fibonacci sequences with, wow, yeah, that's cool. with two-thirds, 66% retracements and, and various thirds that it moves in in the Fibonacci sequence. Mm-hmm. Everything does. Right. I mean, the, the, the reality is that the planets and the stars and the sun and all these things are moving through us all the time. And when we awaken to the fact that what we think is 99% known and 1% unknown is really more 1% known and 99% unknown, and we start to connect to these invisible things and begin to connect those dots in our life, which is probably what we call synchronicities, Yeah. then we can awaken to our full potential and bring it into our work and our life in a way that creates more abundance. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul welcomes back Jason Picard. Jason is the founder of the Abundance Archetype Method, where he teaches the success secrets he learned while becoming a billion-dollar portfolio manager on Wall Street, and also during his subsequent quest to heal himself from a mental and physical health crisis, where he ultimately learned that true abundance was having both wealth and well-being. Jason is offering Paul's listeners his eight keys to greater wealth and well-being report for free. Just go to jasonpicard.org to request your free copy. A big thank you to our premier sponsors, Bioptimizers, Paleo Valley, and Organifi, and our podcast sponsor, Wild Pastures. Their support is essential in producing this podcast, and we hope you will show your support by visiting them online and trying all the amazing products that they produce. Please check the show notes for links and details. We hope you enjoy listening to Paul and Jason talking about the art of life coaching. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, I have my soul brother, Jason Picard, back for an exciting episode. Today, we're going to talk about the art of life coaching, and we're going to explore a lot of Jason's uh, life experiences and d- his own personal development. And hopefully, you enjoyed our podcast with Mimi and Chase and Jason on relationships, which was our last one. So if you haven't heard that one, it's a great one. Jason, welcome back. It's so good to be here. No yeah. place I'd rather be. <laughs> Except home. <laughs> yeah. Here. This is your second home. Yep. Yes. Well, Jason and I have now been coaching regularly together for, I guess we're in our 14, 14 years. 14 years. So Jason's my longest running client and certainly the most uh, developed client over that I've ever had because he's the only one that's stuck with me long enough to really not only grow through his own health challenges and and all the things many of the things we'll discuss probably today but has not only left his field as a stockbroker which he was very successful at but transitioned and became a process psychologist has done extensive studies in shamanism and many other things that he'll share but he's developed an absolutely mind-blowing program called the Abundance Archetype, and many Czech professionals are in his program. So I've had a lot of amazing feedback from people, and I actually got to give a presentation to them, uh, what was it, a couple of days ago. Yeah, you just bl- absolutely blew their minds. <laughs> <laughs> I gave them a little introduction to Spirit Gym, and uh, so it was fun to share with them, and I was really impressed with the sharpness of them, you know, the you know, be very present and very good questions. And uh, I could see that they were real passionate about it. We went over time. We didn't lose. We even got the power went out on, on us and we came back after the power went back on. They were still waiting for yeah, us. Yeah, they were managing themselves. They were talking to each other yeah. and working. It was so. fantastic. So that's the kind of students we're always looking for. So uh, Jason, to begin, 
uh, you've worked with many different kinds of coaches in your life, and you have uh, now done quite extensive work in shamanism, process psychology. You studied my holistic lifestyle coaching program. I trained you privately in the Czech life process alchemy system, and you've done much more than that. Can you share an overview of the different types of coaching experiences you've had and share some of your most important learning experiences with other coaches that you've worked with? Yeah. Well, I'd love to just start with you. I mean, <laughs> when I when I had met you, you know, I thought I had known a lot about life, right? Uh-huh. I mean, I was pretty successful on yeah. Wall Street. I was had made millions of dollars and I went to these, you know, incredible universities and incredible business programs and all these things, but I didn't know anything about the basics. I didn't know how to manage myself. I didn't know how to eat. I was 330 pounds. I didn't know how to move in the gym. I didn't know how to make love or do art or have fun or sleep right or meditate. So honestly, one of the most important things was meeting you who didn't even have a high school diploma. No. (laughs) Yet you taught me more than I learned at the top university in the country. Yeah. More or less, you know, so. Trench, trench knowledge. It was really important, and I think the, the, the basic tenet of all of the teachers that I've been with is somebody who's going to teach you the, the foundations of life, the foundations of what it means to live, and recognizing that you yourself have all of these abilities. It's just about uncovering them. You know, you came to me in a state of financial abundance, but really had sort of a painful deficit in other key areas of your life. Yeah. and you know, because I participated in the development of your Abundance Archetype program, I think you've taken all these experiences with me and and with all the other studies you've done, which I'd like to have the audience hear more about, and you've put together an extremely holistic approach to achieving abundance in all the areas of your life that you've now developed through all these years of growth and development you know, you've mastered my teachings. You probably know as much as any of the instructors. My point is when, when a person comes into your Abundance Archetype program, they're actually getting the same foundation I gave you so that they can develop abundance in all the key areas of their life so that they don't end up, uh, you know, rich but spending all their money because they're unhealthy all the time or they got a disease or, you know, the other, having this crisis and that crisis because their life is so out of balance. So I think that's a a really important gift that you've brought to the world as a product of your own process. It really is. I mean, all of our past experiences, all of our troubles, you know, my obesity, mm-hmm. my stresses of being on Wall Street and pushing them away and going into shamanism and some of these more esoteric teachings, all of that combined is what I bring to the table. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, really it's about bringing all parts of ourselves, even mm-hmm. the parts that we don't want to look at mm-hmm. even our past troubles and struggles and how we overcame them to the table. And that's what really makes us the most effective coach. That's the yeah. wounded healer. You know, the, the the whole idea of the abundance archetype came from my own experiences. Like you said, at 26 years old, I'd already achieved more financial abundance than I ever thought was possible when I was, you know, in college four years prior. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the most successful person that I went to school with, more successful than any of my friends in high school, anybody I knew really at mm-hmm. that age. But the, the paradox was is that I was that unsuccessful in living, in relationships, in my health. Mm-hmm. And so I went through a two-year process before I met you of losing 170 pounds by just crossfitting it, you know, essentially in the gym. And then I had the financial abundance. Then I had the physical body, 
something was still missing. And that's when I met you and you taught me that this was an inner journey. Oh, yeah. The process of abundance, of holistic abundance, true abundance, is knowing yourself and knowing how to live well. You know, I have broken holistic health down to four doctors, which I describe as a wheel. Dr. Happiness, Dr. Diet, Dr. Quiet, and Dr. Movement. And you can have financial abundance and you can have maybe a good-looking body. Yeah. But if you don't have that integration of happy-making, effective movement, individualized and conscious eating, and rest and introspection with a dream goal or objective bigger than the inertia of life, you know, something that inspires you to rise above the gravity of society and, you know, the habits of the world and the stories of the world, then, you know, you you can look good, have money, but feel bad and not sleep well and have a poor sex life and, you know, um, eat yourself into all sorts of health challenges, even because I've, I've met many fit, sick people that look good on the outside, but on the inside, they've got all sorts of problems. You know, the reality is, is all of these things are so interrelated. Mm, yes. I had, I had a, a client who came to me who had erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Of course, I, I, I first started with all of the sort of the diet and exercise and physiological things, you know, recommending cold showers and, you know, stress reduction techniques and better diet and all of these things. But when I went into his process, I realized that there was actually a process that was a meta process even behind the erectile dysfunction and that when he, when he was at work, his boss was piling work on top of him that he didn't want to do. And he had a hard time standing up to his boss. Mm. And then he had this new girlfriend in his home that was making him put all the stuff in, 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 a, in you know, smaller and smaller areas of the house and was making sure that she had everything she wanted and wanted him to get rid of his dog because you know the dog was a problem with her dog and all these endless things. And he could not stand up to her. Right. And when he finally stood up and said, this is what I need. This is what I need to work. I, I don't want to work overtime. I want to work this many hours because I have a son and this and that. His erectile dysfunction went away. And so it, it's, it's so important not to look at just one component of that wheel. Well, that also really bears witness to the mirroring effect of the psyche within the body. You know, the body is a living mirror of the psyche. And, and that's one of the things I bring up later uh, about how most therapists, doctors, and coaches orient their, their approach toward the symptoms, not realizing there's a deeper issue driving the symptoms. So you end up with all this surface treatment, it's like pulling the tops off of weeds. You never, you, you never free the garden of the weeds, you know? Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll get into more of that. But before we move on, tell us a, a little bit about your journey, because there may be people listening that haven't heard our previous podcast together. Uh, you know, what are the different kinds of teachers you've studied with. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things that I want to say to you that I really appreciate about our relationship is that you've always encouraged me to explore all of these other methods. Mm-hmm. So many coaches will get very jealous, possibly. Territorial. Or territorial. Oh, they, they don't want to lose this client. And, you know, in some ways, I think it is important to focus on something and really go deep into it. But, you know, for our relationship, I've always appreciated that you've always encouraged me to explore other teachers in all areas, knowing that, you know, we only know so much. And there, there's people that have specialized in so many different areas. And so I've studied with Jeffrey Armstrong, who's a, a Vedic guru, and I've had the pleasure of putting myself in the position of a guru-student relationship from the mindset of the East to really learn about 
what it's like to to have a traditional guru in in that sense and be in 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 that kind of relationship a relationship of devotion and service and really something that is sort of a transcendent process where this guru type is standing in place as a conduit between you and the divine. Right. I've worked in many different shamanistic fields. I've studied with White Eagle Medicine Woman, who you know, I just came back from a long journey in Alaska with her, exploring all sorts of stuff from, you know, traditional pipe ceremonies and sweat lodges and different kinds of uh, psychological shamanic techniques and medicine work. And I have a podcast with her, for those of you that are interested. Yeah, it's very good. Um I've studied Tai Chi now for the last 20 years with uh, Grandmaster William C. C. Chen. And this man is 90 years old. And one of the things that impresses me about him so much is that every single time I see him or get on Zoom with him, he always has something new that's come up. That's great. He's been doing this for 75, 80 years since he was like 10 years old. And he still has an just this curiosity and childlike mind and real zest for the material. Yeah, that's, that's totally beautiful. inspired me. It's very important. I've studied with uh, Hawaiian kahunas and, and a lot of Buddhism and, and many, many more things. You know, my, my approach has always been just to find the best people in every field. And, and work process with them. psychology. And of course, you know, process-oriented psychology founded by Dr. Arnold Mendel that I'm, I'm heavily um, involved in at the moment. Yeah. What are some of the most important learning experiences that you've had? Like if there's moments or, or like transition states where who was coaching you kind of helped help you you know make have a realization or really give you some epiphany about how you could live differently or change your mindset so that the world became more clear to you or your own worldview was expanded well i mean our relationship together continues to do that every time <laughs> every time we get together yeah cool i mean i think with the biggest takeaway the most important thing is the process of individuation yeah it's recognizing that, you know, the teacher is there to awaken you to your own process. And, you know, it's, it's yes, they can show you their way. They can teach you some tools. But ultimately finding that this is a process of going within and finding out what do you really want to live for? Mm-hmm. That you're a unique person with unique gifts, skills, and talents. And the more I can lean into that, the more I've been having this progressive uh, education and progressive enlightenment process by really finding out that I am a unique snowflake just like you and wanting to know the dimensions and the geometry and what that really means. Yeah. You know, it's it's a process almost of exile, which is, can be very challenging for people. Yeah, you know? it is. It's That's one of the most challenging parts of the individuation process because your individuation process begins within the child archetype where you're dependent upon people to give you a sense of family, belonging, meaning, to help you feel loved and valued. But when you individuate, you have to break free from the uh, parental uh, envelope, so to speak, umbrella or you know the home kind of dominance and become an individual. And and that's where a lot of people have a very, very hard time because part of the problem is, is that our culture really does not have an education system that fosters individuality. You'd think we would in the West being, you know, the land of the free, but you, you go out of high school into college where you're being told by other mother and father figures called professors how to think and how to live and what to do. Then you go get a job somewhere and you got a boss that as another father figure. Then you're in a religion that has a daddy in the sky. And so, you know, the the whole system set up on this 
sort of top-down parental control archetypal imprint. And when you have the whole culture based in monotheistic Abrahamic religions, which are all father-in-the-sky religions, it, it really makes it extremely hard for people to break free from the pack to become an individual. Yeah, and I know we'll get into that more deeply in the transference, transference yeah. section, but yeah. that's a really big issue. And the transference idea is that we're projecting these patriarchal or these father figures or mommy-daddy figures onto the therapist yeah. instead of taking our own responsibility. You know, the word education comes from the Greek word edukare, which means to draw out from within, not pile on more and more useless information, yeah. but recognizing that there's an individual soul with unique gifts and skills and abilities, and that has a particular level of development that's different from everybody else, and meeting that soul or meeting that child where they're at and helping them draw out from within through certain rituals and tests and mentorships and teachers to find and flourish their own individuation. Yes. Not pu putting them into a manufacturing line and like yeah. they're like making, you know, Ford Broncos. And that's the problem with with any belief system or dogmas. It's always um it's always a structure. It's got it's self-contained, it's closed. You know, you're 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 a Christian, you're not a Buddhist. You have this sort of narrow focus all the time. But many people get so narrow in their focus of how they see themselves and how they see their, they identify themselves as they're doing their work. You know, I'm a welder or I'm a doctor or I'm a teacher or I'm a stockbroker. But their sense of themselves often doesn't go outside of these narrow focuses where they focused on where, you know, I'm sure today, if you were still a stockbroker, you would also have your garden, and you would also have your your gym, and you would have your food awareness. You know, so if you were to wind the clock back, but take your holistic knowledge with you, you would be a very healthy stockbroker because of this cross pollination. Where if you go to this trading floor, you're not going to see many people like that. No, and this is the essence of my course: is that yeah. we all have what process work calls a primary identity mm -hmm. or primary personality, which is essentially how you would introduce yourself at a party. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm such and such. I have you know this many kids and this is my job and this is my role and my religion and all these things. But the reality is, is that the, the, what I call me versus not me, there's so much more not me that I'm excluding. Yeah. And those things are the things that come up in our dreams, in our conflicts, in our relationship challenges, in synchronicities and things that call our attention in our life. And really, when we can go over the edge of the primary into the secondary and step into the unknown and really call on those skills and talents and bring them in, mm -hmm. we become so much more great at everything because we're calling on more parts of ourselves. You know, me as the trader. When I was trading, there was this whole secondary part of me, the healer, me, the musician, or the artist. And when I could start to call on those secondary things, it actually made me a better trader because now I'm accessing my intuition and I'm eating more healthy and I'm inspiring other people in the firm to do the same thing and I'm meditating and I'm now I'm acquiring all these skills, but I'm, I'm transcending and including. Yes. And when I left the business, I said, I don't want to be a Wall Street guy anymore. I don't even want to think about that. And this, this, therapist, this healer that, that was secondary to me, the musician, the artist, became my primary identity. Yes. And I kind of repressed that Wall Street guy only to recognize that I had to bring the both of them together, that the world needed me to bring the both of them together because that was really bringing together my wholeness. And that was 
essentially why I created the abundance archetype and essentially is what I'm helping people do is to access all these untapped parts of themselves. Yeah. One of the, the problems out there is, as you know, you, you get these rigid ideological uh, structures, isms, right? So you, you know, people fall into um, a vegetarianism or a religious constraints on food or uh, religious constraints on sexuality and all these other things. So I think all of us have an instinctual urge for the aspects that make us whole. We have the urge to, I think our body knows when it's eating wrong or right and it can guide us. I think our sex urges are, are real and if you're not caught in a box, you can explore those things. Um, I mean, I could go through a long laundry list, but what I'm saying is part of the compartmentalization that is rampant through academia and science and religion and, and you know, all these, iso- it, it produces people that actually are afraid to not only follow their instincts and intuitions to grow their wholeness, but they're afraid because they're in fear of what other people are going to think, because oftentimes it means you're in a state of taboo. You know, what, what if you're a Christian and you want to have sex with someone before you get married? Well, it's kind of hard to tell your mom and dad or your friends that because they're immediately going to tell you that you're a sinner and put you into this guilt and shame trip. And, and you know, but that's sort of the pathology of an outdated myth is it keeps you, you know, in a 2,000-year-old way of relating. And so now, I mean, uh, how many people do you know that would actually marry somebody before they found out if they were sexually compatible? (laughs) It sounds pretty silly to do that. I mean, you know, yoga has a whole concept on looking at what kinds of body types are your, is your partner? What is their energy like? What is a sexual compatibility? What is their discernment like? What is the evolution of their soul like? There's so many more ways to really look at it in a relationship partner. So yeah, it's it's quite antiquated, really. Yeah, this the, you know the idea of not really getting to know your partner before you spend your life with them. And I think too that you know what I'm doing with my work, what you're doing with your abundance archetype program, and and other things that you do. Is I really think that we are channeling in a new myth, and it's the myth of integration. And you know, in Gebser's model of consciousness structures, it goes archaic, magic, mythic, uh, mental, and then in integral. And we're coming into the integral stage of conscious development at this time. And in that stage of development, he describes it as diaphanous, as a seeing through, where all streams of time meet. In, in sort of a nexus, almost like a singularity. And, you know, the way he describes it, it can be quite crazy-making for people that aren't ready for it. But it's almost like right now you see, you know, at, at any given moment, you could have access to so many streams of information on, yeah. on the internet, on your phone, on television, on cable television, on the radio. I mean, the, the news, the print, the, the, there's like... Like people are so overwhelmed with the windows into everybody else's life right now. We we actually have in in a lot of ways an incredible amount of abundance that we don't recognize. I mean, if if you go to a shopping mall, yeah, you have access to more material in that shopping mall than the king of Egypt did in his whole life 
yeah, three thousand years ago. Yeah, right. Yeah, like there, there's we have so much stuff now. Yeah, but you know, this 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 idea of the abundance archetype is really to me kind of like a back to the future, because one of the ninety nine names of God in 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 the Quran and the Islamic faith, and even in biogeometry, they have these different kind of archetypes of of the divine. Mm-hmm. One of them is abundance. Well, good. Well, and God is abundance. That's for well, sure. Well, that's the thing. It's like. You know, nature is naturally abundant. Mm-hmm. When you look at what happened in COVID, when we were locked in our home for a period of time, um, some longer than others, nature started just completely rehabbing itself. And yeah. like wolves started coming back and dolphins and like the air in Beijing was like clean for the first time ever. And all of these things like nature is naturally abundant. The problem is, is that we we are not in harmony with it. Yes, and the whole idea of my course, and, and you know, this is something that I learned really deeply from you. Mm, was that the whole purpose of doing rituals is to ingrain behavior that is in alignment with the natural rhythms of nature, because nature is naturally abundant, and when we align with the, the rising and the falling of the sun. When we move our body appropriately, when we eat with the seasons and eat out of the garden, we become naturally abundant. Hi, everybody. I'm sure you've heard me bragging about Paleo Valley over the years of listening to my podcast, and there's a very good reason for that. Not only do I love the genius of Autumn Smith, a holistic nutritionist, but her products are phenomenally good. My kids love them. I love them, and we all use them every day. My students love them. My clients love them, and they are absolutely top notch. One of my kids' favorite snacks is Paleo Valley's bone broth in chocolate. They love to make their hot chocolate drink themselves simply by whisking up collagen-rich protein powder in a mug of hot water. And I'm happy to let them indulge as I know it is packed full of great nutrition for them in the disguise of a sweet treat. Even us big kids love our sweet treats. And isn't it great when we can enjoy something that not only tastes great, but is truly great for us? Paleo Valley's 100% Grass-fed bone broth protein is the only of its kind made from truly grass-fed cows raised on pesticide-free grass pastures. It's made from bones, not hides, slowly simmered to extract the proteins and nutrients. Gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and dairy-free, the chocolate mix includes organic coconut milk powder, organic cacao bean, organic monk fruit that makes a sweet, creamy, delicious drink that my kids, family, and friends just can't get enough of. You can also add to smoothies, use it in baking, or mix it with your coffee for a healthy mocha treat. Paleo Valley's bone broth protein is also available in vanilla and unflavored. To try Paleo Valley's excellent bone broth protein and save 15% on your purchase, go to paleovalley.com forward slash lowercase c-h-e-k 15. No promo is required. That's P-A-L-E-O. V-A-L-L-E-Y dot com forward slash C-H-E-K 15 to get your 15% discount as a Living 4D listener. No promo code is required. And I promise you, not only will you love this stuff, your kids will love it. You can giggle and laugh because they think they're getting a sweet dessert right before bed, but they will love it and sleep great. And boy, do we parents love it when our kids sleep great. Enjoy Paleo Valley's amazing products. In David Bohm's writings, he said something that I found quite profound. He said, no man can do deep thinking without healthy rhythms. It's, it's profound. Because it takes, a, the mind is you know, very powerful to do real deep 
novel thinking and problem solving takes a lot of energy. And so if you don't have healthy rhythms, you don't have the foundation. And this is why so many great scientists and thinkers literally thought themselves into a state of disease and death. It's so true. And this is one of the biggest things in my course is this concept of, of the separation and the return. Yes. If you don't have a healthy rhythm between working your butt off and then resting or having ordinary states of consciousness and then non-ordinary or altered states of consciousness, you don't have the ability to have those new insights. Yes. You need a rhythm between you know working and sleeping and moving and resting and working and playing and being with your family and being away from your family and all of these kinds of ebbs and flows. Yeah. You need fluidity between all of those things. And when you do that, you can really have those moments of genius. If you take a problem and call it a box, you, it, you can't really solve a problem from inside the box. The box is also a metaphor for a life that's too rigid and too um, non-holistic. Like some people can never shut their work off, right? So what, what, what happens is you cannot get out of the box. You, you, so you can't get eagle vision. Right. You can't sublimate and rise above and see the big picture because you're like someone who's got their nose pressed up against a television screen and they can't get the plot of the movie because all they see is dots. So I think part of the importance of healthy rhythms and having creativity breaks and you know singing, dancing, and, and doing things that are different than your normal thing, like you do art like I do. And, but when you go into the world of art, you learn different ways to look at things. When you're studying poetry, you're learning completely and utterly right brain, different ways of looking at everything. And, and, and paradoxically, reading poetry never says anything directly because me and you and five other people can read the same poem. And when we all say what it means to us, it can be something completely different, but yet profound to each of us. Yeah. So if people are too um, <laughs> mechanized, too westernized, too industrialized, they can't read the poetry. It's so true. You know, Archimedes was was the kind of the coin of the, of the term eureka moment because he was tasked with trying to prove whether or not a crown that was made for the king was pure gold or not. Right. I, I vaguely yeah. remember the story. And he's story. sitting there, he's trying to figure it out. He's like trying to figure out how to do it. And he just like after days and days of toiling over this, he couldn't figure it out. And he just said, oh, I, just, I just need a break. I just give up for now. And as he's getting into the bathtub, he realized that the amount of water that was displaced right. was equal to his weight. And he realized yeah. that he could then measure to see how much the crown weighed and if it was made of pure gold or not. And the legend has it that he was running down the street naked towards the palace shouting, Eureka, 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 which means a, like a flash of insight. Yes. But we all know this because so many of us have had these moments of insight when we're in the shower mm -hmm. or when we're driving yeah, or exercising. exercising or on vacation. But you know, in my course, what I say is, what if we could just create systematic habits of, of cultivating that daily, mm -hmm. right? What if you just take, you, you, you need to step away from a problem at work and you think about the problem, then you go out for a walk in nature and you look for something that catches your eye and you see how that object might be some kind of clue to solve that problem. And I think also, you know, having read a number of probably all of Mendel's books you know he, and and various other shamanic books but the concept of our second attention yeah you know i think as you start living and learning to think and breathe and be holistic there's less of a barrier between your primary and secondary attention so 
somebody like you can be, you know, running a chainsaw to build a fence around your property or doing something where you have to have specific or even coaching a client. But in your second attention, there's messages being given. It, it could be, you know, something unusual, like all of a sudden, uh, three vultures are circling over your head. And so you look at that from a shamanic perspective and connect to the spirit of the vulture and say, you know, are, are you bringing me a message? And the next thing you know, it's telling you something. Sure, it turns out to be exactly what's going on. So I think the point I'm making is as we learn to work with second attention and be more connected to the spirit realm, that we we become less and less um, rigid, and it's like we become more porous to the invisible reality that creates the physical reality. And then we actually realize that we're being guided all the time. Nature is guiding us. Our relationships are guiding us. The events of the world are guiding us versus people feeling like, oh my God, I got to fight this or I can't believe that's happening. You know, somehow everything that's happening involves us. This is such an important thing you're saying. I mean, you're getting me really excited actually because (laughs) this is maybe the essence of what separates a coach from a great teacher or a great coach is this ability to use your second attention. Yeah. You know, we're going to get into this a little bit more deeply, but you are in a relational field that's alive. that's dreaming up the whole experience, right? Mm -hmm. Your dreams that you had last night are relevant for your client. Your client's dreams that they had are relevant body symptoms, things that are moving through your body, things that are happening in, in the environment, little flirts or things that catch your attention. You know, I have so many times when, uh, I'll give you an example. I'm, I'm, I'm on Zoom with a client, and all of a sudden, my kid jumps into my room in yep. the middle of a session, right? I'm sure you've had that yep. before. And there's one part of me that wants to be like, you know, get the hell out of here. Like, yeah. don't you know this is a private, you know, I'm doing therapy here. Yeah. But when I use my second attention, I can look at that as that's a like a teaching gift that there needs to be some more childlike nature. Energy, yeah. Maybe my, Maybe this person needs to play more. Maybe I need to look at some kind of childhood trauma. Yes. Maybe I need to att- uh, pay attention to some childlike spontaneity in me. Yeah. In that way, it's almost like a keto where every single thing in your environment, everything that's happening with your first attention where you're paying attention to, you know, what are the facts and more observable things, but then all of these secondary things provide so much more information. And in fact, Mindell says that 80% of people, 80% of people walk around with what he calls a mild chronic depression, flatland. I don't doubt it. And he says that the number one cause of that in his mind is basically not being connected to your second intention or not being connected connected to the dreaming, the dreamlike nature of life. Yeah, I think that's super important. My observation of doctors, therapists, psychologists, trainers, strength coaches, and life coaches is that they often have a fairly narrow range of expertise and lack the holistic wisdom needed to meet the complexities of coaching human beings. It is very common for a client's symptoms to become the basis for therapy and coaching while overlooking the fact that the symptoms are frequently secondary to the actual problem, what the actual problem or challenge is. Can you share some thoughts in this regard? Yes, for sure. And this is 
you know, check 101, 201, 301 here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reality is, is that probably 80% of the problems that people come into with in a therapeutic session could probably be fixed with the four doctors. That's true. I mean, honestly, you know, proper diet and, 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 you know, in, in the do no harm and start with the basics, yes. it's, it, it's the most incredible place to start. Yeah. How are you sleeping? You know, if you don't think that's going to cause problems, you yeah. know, mental, emotionally, you, you, you know, you're crazy. What are you eating? Yeah. Are you eating processed junk food and sugars and all this crap that's affecting your, your whole body? Inflaming the hell how, out of How you. much are you moving? You know, and do you have any joy and authentic play and love in your life? And yes. do you have, you know, and so, you know, first off, most people, I mean, forget doctors, forget most psychologists, you know, um, maybe in, in, in shamanism, they may, may brush on that. In, in yoga, they certainly talk about diet. But the reality is, is your system is probably the only thing that I've seen that really starts with the basic fundamentals, which is it's n- n- no sense in you know trying to look at these higher level issues before you get the four doctors in place because yeah. they'll most likely eradicate most of your problems. And then if something's still there, then you have an opportunity to know that it's not, you know, uh, one of the basic tenants and, and you go deeper. But the reality is this to me, and I want to just kind of highlight what you're saying is that the symptoms are always pointing to something else. Yes. It, it's the, when you, we have body symptoms or mental, emotional symptoms, it, you know, they're often, they're often almost our body's way of awakening us to our unmet task or yeah, our secret symbolic. story. They're or pointing our, yeah. back. They're pointing back to something else. Yeah. They're pointing back to the, and, and you know, we, we often kind of want to marginalize or we get victimized by these things, but they're really our allies to awaken, they us, are. awaken us to the deeper process that's moving through us. That's why I call them the pain teacher. It really is a teacher. You're not, you can't drug and numb this shit out because you just you're squelching the voice of your teacher. Uh, it would be like um, if our bodies didn't feel pain, and we went to the gym, we could just destroy our spine, and all sorts of injuries could happen. And you, next time you go to try to lift weights, nothing works anymore because you've blown a disc out or you got a nerve root being pinched. So you know the the kinds of things too. Aside from the four doctors, though, that. You know, like countless is the number of patients that came to me with serious back problems. And oftentimes, you know, they came to me because nothing was working through physical therapy, through doctors. Even some of them had three, four surgeries under their belt and nothing was improving and getting worse often. And I tracked it right back to financial problems or right back to core family disputes or insecurities with themselves, you know. And so, it's, I think part of the, what I'm driving at is that when we're doing life coaching or even acting as a therapist, uh, no matter what kind of pain or a psychologist, we always have to look at, you know, what are the psychic issues? Because the, the psyche is pure energy at one end, it's matter at the other end, and the soul lives between those two poles, you, you know, of pure potential and matter, your bones, right? And so our thoughts, feelings, emotions, our fears, our desires, our dreams, our anxieties, our inhibitions, our insecurities, they're all like an alchemical uh, pot brewing. And, you know, you can say, oh my God, 
the pots boiling over, I've got to do something and take half the food out of it. Or you can say, well, the actual problem is the fire is too hot. Just turn the fire down. Or you're going to have to cook your meal twice. You know, but everybody keeps going for the symptom, right? Take the water out of the pot, it won't boil over. Versus the problem is actually the flame. Yeah. So I think it's important uh, when you're working with a life coach or a therapist, or if you are one, to always do the work to do the study to investigate the psychophysical relationship because, you know, belief drives choices and behaviors and it's impossible to escape that reality, right? Your mind is always acting through your body and if your mind's in a state of conflict, your body's going to mirror that. And if your heart is not connected to your head, then you're always going to be processing things in a very left brain way but often miss the big picture and that can hurt like you can maybe have a great sexual relationship with someone and think they love you because you got a lot of money but not realize that there's other things that they need that that and that you need and then you can't figure out why this person you were in love with a year later you're, you're having a hard time with them because you're only looking at it from such a narrow perspective it really it really gets back to you know what you call the dream line or what process where it calls your own personal life myth yes it's really understanding why are you here what is, what you know what's what's your purpose in life who are you really where did you come from where are you yeah. going yeah how do you live your life well what's your secret story or your unmet tasks yes. right yeah and so you know it really uh, I want to get back to that exile for a moment because all of the really profound um Old spiritual or religious teachings all have periods of exile mm-hmm. for the, the the person seeking enlightenment, right? Yes. Arjuna and his brothers had to go into exile for thirteen years into the forest. Well, that's a long time. And interestingly, in the last year, they had to they were they had to com- take a completely different identity because if somebody was able to discover who they were, they had to do another thirteen. Whoa. So they had they had to completely change who they were and take on new roles and disguises. That's a really important metaphor. Really yes. losing that identity before yeah. you can come back. You know, Buddha had to leave. You know, Jesus is in the desert and all of these yeah. different stories. And so, you know, this process is painful because when we leave kind of the known world, which we'll get into in the hero's journey, this process of exile can be difficult. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly why your Czech tribe and my abundance archetype community is so essential. Mm-hmm. To have people to go through it with, well, yeah, to have the go, support. go into exile with, <laughs> meaning you can be in exile with people that are in the same. Also process. going through that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so you have support to go through your own personal individuation. Yeah, so you have this beautiful marriage on one side of the coin is your individual pursuit, but on the other side of the coin is the people that are in pursuit of wholeness and spiritual growth with you. So you you get the support of others. But that doesn't have to contaminate your own personal process, no, no. which is a lot different than going to a church or being part of a, a group that has a rigid structure, like being in the military, for example. It doesn't matter who you are. You're doing the same shit every day. That's, uh, no. that's the only way they can control you. So it's nice to be able to, you know, it's very much like Gnosticism where the Gnostics, you know, many mystics would go off into the mountains and do their hermiting and their practices 
and then come back and sit around the fire and share what their experiences was and say, you know, would you like to try it? And it was really just like, this is what's working for me. Give it a try. This is what, you know, and, and so it, everyone cross pollinates. We're in this state in the world right now where we have a, a real need to honor the importance of the growth and development of our individuality, yet at the same time, create community so that we have the necessary journey of our own while also being able to hold hands with, be supported by and support others in their own unique pursuit or, or the flowering of that individual soul. This is where I think sometimes people get some of these spiritual ideas wrong, where they say, oh, it's all nothing. It's yeah. all emptiness. And yeah. Okay, yeah, but oh, but here you are. <laughs> yeah, but it's all oneness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But how about yes and or multi-phase logic right, where yeah. it is not it is emptiness, it is oneness and there's also individuality. Yeah. Do not throw away your own individual pursuit up for these ideas that it's all one. Yet yes, we come from the same place in essence we're the same and in 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 essence it is no thing. Yeah, but at the same time, we are individuals, and we are here, and it's very important to express that to the fullest. And that is the the unity, the oneness in the individual, right? We are a microcosm of the macrocosm. So, just as there is the one universe, if you want to use that concept, there is the one of us because there is no other of us. So, paradoxically, we have the oneness in us. We have the duality in us that makes mind and allows love and relationship. We have the trinity in us that allows dreaming, and we have the quaternity in us that allows manifestation. That's really a good meditation. We are the one. Yes. You know, on, on many levels. We are the one, we are the two, we are the three, we are the four, and we're a lot more. Yeah. And so... The myriad of things. Yeah. The, 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 Lao Tzu says, uh, from, from the one comes the two, two comes the three, from three comes the 10,000 things, right? And that's really true. Um what are some of the key features that make a good life coach and what tips can you share for choosing the right one for an individual's needs? We've already talked a little bit about this, but one, yeah. of, one of the things that I would say to add to that is finding the person who's asked the most questions <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> and, important. and seek the most intelligent answers, mm. right? I mean, this way that you were talking about the Gnostics sitting around the fire, it, it's this meta skill, it's this attitude to life that if you have a better way, I will become your student. Yeah. That's always been my philosophy. That's what you want to be with. Yes. You don't want to be with somebody who has a belief system or who's stuck to their own way. It's, yeah. you know, when I come in here and I see you, you know, 3.30 in the morning <laughs> waking me up. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> with the coffee machine. Yeah. Um, which, I, which I enjoy because I know how hard you're working and yeah. it's very, very inspiring to me. But I see you with your notes and your questioning and- the, just the conversations we're having on a daily basis. It's yeah. like Master Chen, my Tai Chi master at 90 years old, yeah. still asking deeper and deeper and deeper questions. And that's really what's about. You want to be with somebody who's a seeker, who knows that they don't know everything, yeah. who knows that there's so much more out there, that there's many different things to learn, and who will say and will bow down to you if you say, wow, you found a better way, you found a better philosophy, you become my teacher. Yes. That's the kind of teacher that I, I look for. And, you know, ultimately, what what a good teacher can give you is better than money. Yeah. It's better than gold, better than diamonds, because 
those things can be taken away from you. Yes. But when you find a really, really good teacher, they instill something in you that lasts a lifetime and beyond. Mm-hmm. A kind of a, a, a pathology in our culture is making the assumption that the degrees a person has behind their name is a measure of how successful they are or how good they are as a life coach or a therapist or a doctor. But most of those are are actually certificates of indoctrination and they don't really um, indicate anything with regard to that person's own journey or their own, whether or not they're a wounded healer. Have they actually gone through some shit in their life and really worked it out? Have they continued to expand their horizons into other areas you know knowledge is a horizon every time you try to reach it it always keeps moving from you yeah it's an infinite game and a lot of people get a certificate or a a degree and they think okay i know everything now and they just stop learning and so five years later they're they're like five years behind with what they could be if they continued because for me everything connects to something else you know, if if you want to understand farming, you got to understand water, and you have to understand sunlight, and you got to understand microorganisms, and you know, you got to understand air. You have you have to understand alchemy because farming is an alchemical process. So if you think farming is something you're just going to learn in, in a course, and you're going to throw a bunch of chemical fertilizers on there, and and just use a vet to give your animals antibiotics and drugs to compensate for not paying attention, then that is the model that produces an ineffective coach that's highly qualified. What I'm saying is I think it's important to ask yourself, does the person I'm about to choose as a coach embody qualities that I feel are supportive of and facilitate my own process of becoming who I choose to become and fulfilling my own dream for my life? It's totally true. You know, there's an old Sanskrit word for this, called an acharya mm. and an acharya is one who speaks the way they move one who yeah. walks the walk and you know talks walks the talk and so brahmacharya must be a derivative of that yeah uh, uh one who is um seeking god well one who is walking and speaking the truth of brahman yeah because uh, when in yogananda's system before you become a full-fledged monk you're a brahmachari yeah yeah. Which is like a sannyasin or yeah. a student. One in the pursuit. Yeah. For me, this is so true about what you were saying about the horizon point, because a real teacher knows that it's an infinite game. It is an infinite game. And, you know, there becomes something that transcends certifications or degrees. Mm-hmm. It's a love of the game. Yeah. It's a love yeah. of play. It's mm-hmm. just that I wake up every day and I'm just have a passion to learn because it's what pulls my heart and soul because I want to explore the mysteries. Yes. And it's it, it's not for any particular outcome to put some piece of paper on my wall. It's for my own inner process. And those are the people that I've always seeked out as, as teachers. Hi, everybody. Thank you for learning and growing with me and joining me on my podcast. A quick question for you. Do you know if you're getting enough magnesium? Because four out of five Americans aren't, and that's pretty much true worldwide. And that's a big problem because magnesium is involved in more than 600 biochemical reactions in your body. 
Today, I want to talk to you about the most common signs to look for that could indicate that you're magnesium deficient. Listen carefully to the end because there's a special offer happening and this could be exactly what you need. So here we go on some of the common symptoms that indicate you might be magnesium deficient. Are you irritable or anxious? If you're not sure, ask your partner. <laughs> Do you struggle with insomnia? Do you experience muscle cramps or twitches? Do you have high blood pressure? Are you constipated? Do you have a hard time falling asleep or getting a restful sleep? Do you feel more stressed than others that seem to be in the same or similar situations? Do you feel moody and wish your emotions were more stable? Do you feel you lack mental alertness? Do you feel you're at risk for osteoporosis and desire to build stronger bones? There are dozens of symptoms of magnesium deficiency, so these are just a few of the most common ones. Now, here's what most people don't know. Taking just any magnesium supplement won't solve your problem because most supplements use the cheapest kinds that your body simply can't absorb. That's why I personally recommend Magnesium Breakthrough. It's the only full-spectrum magnesium supplement with seven unique forms of magnesium that your body can actually use and absorb. All Bioptimizer supplements are the best of the options available, or I wouldn't be offering them to you. I don't offer anything on my podcast that my family and I don't use ourselves. Bioptimizers is so committed to offering you the best quality products that really work, that if you are not satisfied, you can get a full refund, no questions asked. In fact, they are so confident they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. To get your magnesium breakthrough and your 10% Living 4D discount, go to B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash living number 4D. That's by optimizers.com forward slash living number four D. Use the promo code Paul10 to get your discount. And by the way, in addition to the discount you get by using the promo code Paul10, you can get gifts with your purchase, up to two travel-sized bottles of magnesium breakthrough. Act fast. This is a limited time offer. So go to bioptimizers.com forward slash living4d and use the promo code Paul10 for your 10% discount. Enjoy. I see a lot of the issues of anxiety and particularly depression as the byproduct of being unaware of, negating, avoiding, or being too lazy to continue to expand one's horizons. Because if one's not exploring new things, then there's nothing exciting in your life. You are in flatland. You know, like you said, your art enhances your work. Your biogeometry enhances your work. Your relationship with your wife and your kids enhances your work. Being in your garden and working with stones and doing all the different building, you know, it always is bringing you into contact with a new way of relating. And when you're in these new ways of relating, you see how the often invisible connections between God, what's the difference between going to work every day with my gardening and with my biogeometry and my art and my music and my prayers and my my chants and going without them. And you, when you live that way, when you, when you have this fullness of diversity, it, it's just like nature has to have the diversity to survive. When you have diversity, you you can't be bored because even if you're doing a Monday job like saying tax accounting, 
if you're working on a painting at home, then you know you're going to work and you're doing what you do to make a living and maybe you love it, but it's kind of mundane. But you're thinking all day long, wow, you know, I got to go fix that nose on my painting or get that bird to look just right or, you know, how am I going to make these stars shine? You know, there's always like, there's always a pursuit of something. So there's this kind of childlike wonder, I find, yeah. you know. The funny part too is that what we call these invisible connections they actually can be so practical in, in, in creating more abundance for us, even at work. Yeah. Like, think about the influence of the moon cycles yeah. that we call invisible. Yeah. You know, it, it's common knowledge for anybody who studies the data that the, the moon cycles affect the stock markets. <laughs> yeah. That the stock market moves historically in Fibonacci sequences. With, wow, that's cool. With, you know, uh, two-thirds, 66% retracements and, and various... Uh, thirds that it moves in in the Fibonacci sequence. Mm -hmm. Everything does. Right. I mean, the, the, the reality is that the planets and the stars and the sun and all these things are moving through us all the time. And when we awaken to the fact that what we think is 99% known and 1% unknown is really more 1% known and 99% yes. unknown, and we start to connect to these individual, in, invisible things and begin to connect those dots in our life, which is probably what we call synchronicities, Yeah. then we can awaken to our full potential and bring it into our work and our life in yeah. a way that creates more abundance. And synchronicities are, are, are often very profound experiences it's almost as though you encounter the mind of God. You know, like there's been so many synchronicities in my life and being here, you know, it was a series of synchronicities that led us to this property. Uh, you know, to give you an example, I you, you know the story, but for the listeners, I'll share it. I go into meditation each year at the beginning of the year to paint my yearly mandala to be my symbolic guide and anchor for the year. And we had been looking for a house for, well, we'd looked for five years before we found this place. So this is probably about the fourth year. Well, actually it was the beginning of the year we found the house. And so the girls three months later were out looking for a house and they came across the house we're in now. And when they pulled up to the gate, they looked up and saw the big mandala of Sunface, which is exactly what I'd painted in my mandala. And they both went, oh my God, that's what Paul painted. This must be our home. So they immediately called me and sent me a picture by text and said, look at this. And oh my God, that's my mandala. So then I started saying to them, you know, I've been having visions of what my soul says would be our new house. So I started describing because I came here and remote viewed the place. So I said, well, you know, does it, when you drive in, is it a metal gate? Do, do you drive past a pond? Yes. Do you drive up a hill to get to the parking lot in front of the house? Yes. When you walk in the door, is it very high ceilings with like Mediterranean style wood fans? Yes. When you walk through the house to the back, is there a swimming pool? Yes. When you go to the edge of the swimming pool, does it look like you're looking down a steep embankment? Yes. Well, I just kept going. They said, well, Paul, you're describing exactly this house. And so you see the synchronicity of the gate matching my mandala. But I'd also gone into meditation with Angie and we drew a map without even, no, this is five years before we found the place. When we moved in, we were going through drawers, you know, putting stuff in and we, we found a map of the property. And on my map that I drew five years before to, to be my map to, to call the home in and, and send my message to Great Spirit, 
I had identified three places on the land where my soul told me we would find water if we had to drill for water. Well, this map that we found not only was an almost perfect match of the map that I had made by hand, but it had the water symbols in exactly the three places. So when you have these synchronicities, you actually start to realize that our second attention, our intuitive access, our shamanic wisdom is actually guiding us all the time if we just engage it. And the more you engage it, the more you feel safe in the world because you never feel alone. You realize the whole universe is participating. This is this is why our, our friend Laurel Erica yep. says a coincidence is a co-inside dance. Yes, that's beautiful. You know, and so this is a really back to the the to the art of life coaching mm-hmm. and, and and therapy is that somebody you want to be with somebody who understands that we're living in an intelligent universe. Totally. I mean, it, you know, let's just start with that. Yeah. So many people just think we live in this mechanical Newtonian world, but yeah. you know, we walk into these amazing art galleries and we look up and we, you know, we don't think that there weren't departments of the business that organized and there wasn't an artist and a creator and a curator and a human resources department and a receptionist and all of the people that built built the building. But we look at it, the most amazing art gallery there is, which is our earth yes, and our life and our mm. body. Yeah. And we don't think that that's intelligent. Yeah, I know. We put satellites up in the sky that don't even move with the precision that our earth, sun, and moon do orbiting each other in 25,900-year cycles yep. down to the second. Yeah. I mean, it's so intelligent. Yeah. Our dreams are so intelligent. Our bodies are so wickedly intelligent mm-hmm. that that is an absolutely essential component to good life coaching is being with somebody that can recognize that and help you recognize that in yourself. You know, that points to something, you know, very deep that I'm going to throw on the table. What, what, what you're describing is having a relationship with God because this is God. But having a relationship with God that's written in books without paying attention to everything we've just talked about means that you're in love with an idea, not the experience of God, not the experience of love, not the experience of life. That's why the Tao Te Ching says that the Tao is older than God. Yes, it is. (laughs) The idea of God. God, right, yeah. The God, the the source of it all comes before there's even somebody who can speak it speak the word god yes and silence is the basis of sound and it's eternal so it's all of these things are very very important i think you know and i think today because there's so much life crisis throughout humanity that having a real skilled life coach can open you to so much more of the support that surrounds us all the time, but we're often just completely oblivious to. Yeah. yeah. And that's really important. Yeah. Jason, one of the most common tendencies life, uh, life coaching clients, patients, and everyone engaging coaches have is to project their mother and father archetypes onto the coach and relate to them as a parent figure instead of a coach. This challenge is magnified by the fact that many therapists and coaches' ego gets fed by this kind of transference and they get the satisfaction of controlling or having power over their patient or client. Personally, I've warned many of my students and patients that turning me into your daddy ultimately leads to rejecting four doctors and six foundation principles, which is a very thing dangerous thing to do. 
Could you share your thoughts on this challenge and any suggestions you have for both prospective life coaching clients and life coaches, therapists, and doctors that may fall into this challenging situation? Yeah, well, taking it from the perspective of the coach, yeah, I think it's important to know that you may be one year, five year, 10 year, 25, or even 50 years ahead of your client, but you're still on the same path. Yes. You're just farther along down the same road. And so, yes. you know, you, you're not holding anything more special than they are. It's just that you have had the ability to develop on that same path that they're on. Mm -hmm. And this is what um, Robert Johnson calls the inner gold concept, yeah. is that many times these clients will project onto you their own inner gold. Right. And it's so important as a therapist that he says is that you may hold onto it for, for a period of time where you allow that, but you always recognize that you have to give it back to them. Yes. You cannot become um, this projection of, of their own self-worth. Yes. Uh, you, you know, it's about giving it back to them. And so most of the, tr the troubles, interestingly, with many of the clients that I work with, all come from belief systems that form between the age of conception and 10 years old. Yes. Yep. You know, all of our ideas around um, love and relationships and money. God. And God and marriage and um, children mm -hmm. and how we are in the Food, world. All of these exercise. things. Exercise. Come back from these unconscious belief systems that began when we're, you know, usually between zero and seven or zero and 10. Yeah. And so- Ultimately, I think a, a coach has to start with that concept is recognizing that what are the unconscious belief systems that are driving this person? And usually they come from childhood and starting there. Yeah. And, and the, the, the projection of you know, parental issues is a big one. But one of the big things about this, this transference is that in our culture, we don't really have good mother-father figures. Right. We don't have these um, parental guides that we can then have that experience with. Yes. And so it's really almost like a city or a cultural shadow that we're projecting onto the therapist. But as a therapist, you must recognize that and really detach from the process and not not take it personally. Yeah. Because ultimately, ultimately it's about giving back to them the ability to become their own parent, yes. their own inner father, yeah. and their own inner mother, and not taking that for yourself. I think for me as a therapist, what I'm always interested in is where is this person at in their stages of individuation and their stages of conscious development? And when I recognize somebody's in the child archetype, then I know that there's a function for me as a parental figure, but the job of a parent with a child is to teach it to be progressively more responsible for its own actions and for the responsibilities that we all have to carry as a human being in life, right? We all have to make a living. We all have to feed ourselves. We all have to take care of ourselves and do, you know, all these things that make a human life a human life in a, in a culture or even in, in, the, in the woods. There's things you got to do, right? You can't just sit around and expect the fish to jump in your frying pan uh, and the wood to cut itself and plants to, you know, hand you food. You have to go look for it and do something about it. So I think when when I see that, which is very common, is very common in my students as well, then I play that role of the father archetype, but it is me saying, this is your task to do. What I don't like seeing is when 
they keep getting medicated by the coach or the therapist. In other words, medicated like, oh, you had a bad day. Oh, well, maybe we can look at it a different way. And, you know, it's kind of like fluffy going around the edges. Right. But for me, it's like, okay, well, you know, you made an agreement with yourself. You stated that this was your dream. We identified that this is the changes you need to make in your diet or your exercise program or whatever it is. The question is, why are you not participating in the creation of your own life? And what is it that you think I'm going to do for you that's actually going to fix that? Because when you walk out the door, you got to spend the next 23 hours of every day by yourself. If you are needing to be a father or mother in the archetypal domain because you're dealing with a child, which could be a body of any age, but a psychological child, then you have to do what a parent has to do and teach them responsibility. The tricky part is, is when they see you as their parent, consciously or unconsciously, and then they have to go through puberty to prove to you that they're an individual now. Yeah, And that's the hard transition to make so that you don't lose the gift of wisdom that you've given them in the pubescent reaction. Yeah, and so it, it's it can be important to try to find ways to help anchor that in them. Yeah. Right? So it could be as simple as like a hand gesture that they can make, like a namaste or a totem or a rock, but some way that you can anchor that wisdom in them so that when they leave, they still have that part of you with them mm-hmm. that they can help remember to parent themselves in that particular yeah. way. I think as a therapist, with all of these kinds of different types of projection and transference, it's very important to frame it and name it, to bring it up and say, oh, wow, it seems like you're looking at me like a father figure. What do you see in me? Yes. You know, and then, you know, what is that that you're seeing in me? And then it's help them then encourage them to see that in themselves. And so for me, I think that all of these things that are like these ghost roles, as Mandel talks about them, all these different things that are happening, but they're not really stated. Mm-hmm. It's not often a client will look at you and call you daddy, right. but they might be acting in a way of you as a father figure. Yeah. But once you can make it conscious and bring it out and role play it, like yeah. pretend that you're the father and, and, and their father and act in a particular way or have them speak as the father and you the client and yeah. go back and forth and really explore what is the process that's been dream dreamt up in in this session yes and go deeper into the unfolding of that one of the things i've encouraged my clients to do and patients to do is to go to a bead shop and buy like a, a leather string you know for a necklace and every time that you successfully accomplish a specific objective such as i've now managed my um, doctor diet effectively for a month you put a bead that represents that on your necklace. So just like in a, a, Native, Amin, a Native American Indian tribe, you know, you get a single feather for bravery or courage in this, and you right. get another feather. And so the chief is the one that's accomplished all these tasks and demonstrated um, mastery. Yeah. And so that's why he's the chief, right? Right. And so I think if we find ways for people to acknowledge their own participation themselves instead of depending on the coach or the therapist to hand them the bead they hand it to themselves because they're effectively parenting themselves at that point 100 percent, and that's why um journals and logs are so important yes yes i mean the first thing that you and i did for the first couple years of a relationship was 
having me just journal each day about what's going on in my life. What, yeah. are, what are the four doctor choices that I'm making? Yeah. What's my morning heart rate? What's my sex drive? What's my willingness to exercise or participate in life? What's my mental clarity? What do my stools look like? What are your body telling you? Yeah, and skin and a and, and million different things. And then like getting your own feedback yeah. mechanism and system of evaluation so that you can become your own guide in that way. Yes. And so that's a really big, um, important point in engaging in the therapeutic process is recognizing that, look, you can I can come see you and you can you can work on my knee and I could come see you every couple of weeks or you can go to a chiropractor or mm-hmm. you can go to a therapist and you can get a little bit of work done. But ultimately, the majority of the work happens as inner work. Yes. It happens on your own time, Yeah, right? It's, it's really about the coach or the therapist or the trainer teaching you the skills to manage your life every single day mm-hmm. and then come back for supervision to say, yes. hey, how's this working? Oh, well, I had a little trouble with this. Oh, try this or try that. Yeah. But ultimately, you're your own best coach. Yeah. You're your own best therapist. Yes. And the real work comes on the mat every single day of your life. That's so true. Hi, everybody. I am so excited to tell you about Wild Pastures' amazing meat delivery service. They have beef, chicken, pork, and wild-caught fish. My family and I have been enjoying their meat for quite some time now. And I just couldn't wait to tell you about it any longer. We had an amazing barbecue this weekend, and I'm still high off the meat. And they use a whole network of regenerative farms, which means that you're getting a different ecosystem from each farm, which means a different nutritional profile, which means nutritional diversity, which means health and vitality, which is exactly what we need right now in the world for ourselves and our families so we can all make a difference in the world. And Matt Smith's going to tell us more about this amazing company, Wild Pastures, about their offering and how you can get it. Thank you, Matt. Thanks so much, Paul. And I'm excited to tell your listeners what they can get today and how we can help them out. So, you know, as you know, pastured meats are crazy expensive. And so our goal with Wild Pastures is to tap into this network of regenerative farmers and to finally create the solution of where we can get the highest quality meats delivered straight to your door for the most affordable prices around. And so we're on average seeing that we are 40% cheaper than any other delivery option out there. And that our customers have reportedly saved, on average, $1,000 on their grocery bill from meat alone. And so Wild Pastures is a regenerative meat delivery service that is solving this problem. And you can get 100% grass-fed and finished, as well as pasture-raised pork and poultry and wild-caught seafood from Alaska delivered straight to your door. So it's far more convenient. It's far more environmentally friendly because we're using regenerative farms entirely. We don't use feedlots ever. So the the nutrition profiles are way better. You can definitely taste the difference. I know we were talking about this on our uh, just before we hopped on. You having a Father's Day barbecue and and how incredible the pasture-raised chicken and beef short ribs were. And you can really taste the difference, right? I'm still high. (laughs) And so our goal is to remove the roadblock from people's minds that if they want to eat healthy, it's too expensive. And so that's where Wild Pastures comes in is we are delivering with our own fleets of trucks whenever possible. We haven't raised our meat prices in over three years at this point. And we're really just creating convenience for the consumer and kind of being the high tide that rises all ships. If we can opt more people into a system like this, the cost stays down for everybody. And so there is a myriad of benefits that go into that. And so today, if your listeners want to try Wild Pastures and taste the difference and experience what it's like, go to wildpastures.com forward slash Paul Check or click the link in the show notes and save 20% off for life. 
plus get free shipping for life, plus get $15 off your first box. That's a mind-blowing deal. I can't even (laughs) imagine. I mean, I've never heard of an offer like that. And, you know, most people will hear an offer like that and think, this can't be that good. But I'm telling you, it's not it's not only that good, it's really good. Or I would not be sharing this on my podcast. I think everybody needs to get a hold of Wild Pastures for their family, for their vitality, for their longevity, and for the future of this planet. So thank you guys very much. So Matt, Matt just repeat the website again. Sure. Just go to wildpastures.com forward slash Paul Check. Or visit the link in the show notes and get 20% off for life, plus free shipping for life, plus $15 off your first box so you can try it. You'll be glad you did. You know, in Jungian psychology, the concepts of transference, which is the client transferring their story libido and challenges into the psyche and life of the therapist or coach, and countertransference, the digestion and metabolism of the client's challenges and transference of the inherent qualities of the coach or therapist back to the patient are very important to understand. In my experience, the therapist or life coach has to be well-rounded, healthy, and adequately educated to be able to manage client transference without it destabilizing them. And they have to be conscious enough not to transfer their own baggage, dramas, and shadow qualities into their patient or client to the best of their ability. Um, This kind of relationship can take a fair bit of energy if a therapist or life coach engages more people than they can make room for and balance within their life and can have a destructive effect on them. So um, I'm wondering if you can share your thoughts on the concept of the transference that the, I come to see you as a client. You're, I'm going to tell you my whole story. You're going to pick up on my energies. You know, you're going to take whatever it is that's in my life into your life. And then the countertransference is, as a therapist or coach, you have to bring that inside of yourself and digest it. If, you, if you're just going to play chess with me and say, oh, you got this wrong, do that, you know, like take this pill, then that's not really a very deep level of coaching or guidance. But then, you know, just like, uh, you know, a shaman will often bring in a patient's illness to themselves and they will digest and metabolize it and let it affect them. And through the experience, of what the patient has going on, they come up with the solution of how to address that at some level, be it psychologically, be it medicinal changes, uh, habit and lifestyle changes. But typically the shaman's going to digest that inside of themselves, which can take a lot of energy. You have to actually go into that person's sickness. And then the shaman in their presence is projecting some of their very good qualities into the client or the patient. So I just wondered, you know, what are your thoughts regarding the therapist needing to be conscious of how much they can take as transference? You can only take so many people before your quality of coaching and therapy starts to drop down because you go into survival mode. And then there's the responsibility of us doing the digestive work to really get past the story, right? The words aren't always, as you know, telling the story. We have to use our second attention, our sixth sense, our our uh, ability to allow ourselves to be affected by that person. There are some, first off, some more consensus reality things. Like it's not a good idea to 
have clients back to back to back to back to back without having any break in between them, right? Yeah. It's not a good idea not to manage yourself with the four doctors because if you don't have a good diet, if you're not well nourished, if you're if you're living in in uh, fight or flight, if you're tired, if you're not rested, if you're you know if you don't have fun in your life, everything becomes too chaotic for you to be stable enough yeah. to be present with with the patient. Yeah. You know, the reality is is that as a therapist, your awareness and your presence is your greatest gift and your greatest tool. Yeah. Just being present with somebody. I mean, most people do not have people in their life that will give them their full undivided attention yes. and be present with them. And that is one of our greatest gifts. But in order to get into this stage that you can feel what's moving and use your second intention, first, like we said, you have to have space. Yeah. You have to have a good quality of balance in your life through the four doctors. You have to be clear enough to know what is your own internal process and what is the client's, right? Yeah. If you're not in touch with your own self, your own, like, imagine you have a blank screen and you know, or uh, you're watching a movie and you're watching the movie of your life. You need to be able to know when something is coming up on that screen that's not yours. Yeah. That is your client's and yeah. process. And when it's something that's yours that is actually going back onto the client. Yes. And so we're, we're recognizing that we're living in, in a field, that we're, we're working in, in a field that's alive that we're co-creating together, that our client and, I, and I, ourselves are in a shared process that likely we may even be working on the same or similar things. Yeah. You and I have had these experiences all the time. I know. I'll go through a relationship challenge and you're going through a relationship yeah. challenge. And they're almost the same. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and it's like we're, we're, we're almost working on the same process, but taking it from a different perspective or yeah. you have, you're, you know, you're a little bit more experienced down the road. So you have more life experience or wisdom to share on it. But, Often we're we're going through the same processes as our clients, yeah. but we have to be clear enough to know what's coming into us and what's our own internal experience and what's theirs. Yeah. And once we're aware of what's theirs, we can use it in the session. If we're normally a calm person mm -hmm. and we, we start to feel angry or agitated or something like that, we can bring it out in the session and say, you know, I'm not normally like this and this is not me, but for some reason I'm feeling this sort of angriness or this agitation you know is there something going on with you or yeah. is there somebody in your life that's like that yes was your father like that did mm -hmm. you have a boss that was like that yeah. and now you're going deeper by using your second attention and being clean enough but the reality is that takes a high level of development because you have to be balanced in your life yeah you have to be sensitive enough to your own movie your own inner world and you have to sit in the fire enough to burn off all of your belief systems and preconceived ideas yes. and all of your own traumas because there is a co-dreaming process that can happen. Like, for example, if I haven't worked off some trauma I had with a past girlfriend or wife or mother or something like that, all of a sudden I have a female client and I could be triggered to act out towards her in a particular way based on my old trauma. Yes. And vice versa, if I have a client who, let's just say, had a, a tough daddy in his life or her life, mm -hmm. all of a sudden I can be almost dreamt up if I'm not clear enough yeah. to act like that daddy figure. Daddy figure that yeah. it's almost can re-traumatize them because yeah. in some ways we attract these things in our life to bring it to our own awareness so we can learn and heal. Yes. But if I'm not careful enough by by 
very sophisticatedly bringing it out and framing it and and you know bringing it consciously and working with it in an effective way i it, it could become this very negative countertransference back to the client that could actually harm them that i don't yes. think people are even aware of i think when a coach or a therapist isn't aware of the the load that is taken into them when working with complex cases and people in a lot of pain or in scary situations. I mean, working with people that have terminal cancer and things like that, it can, you know, it it really kind of tests your mettle because, you know, you realize this, this person's on walking on a tightrope between life and death. And if you aren't on your game, you may overlook something that ultimately pushes them off into the death side. But if you're on your game, just the one little thing someone else misses may be what puts them back in, in the game of life for X number of years. And I think a lot of people just get too mechanical in their coaching. And I think the more stressed we get, if we keep doing that kind of thing and aren't aware, then what happens is we don't realize that our own protective mechanism affects our therapy. So it becomes less and less of a relationship process and more and more of a I'm the coach and you're the object. Just do what I tell you to do and and get out of here. You yeah. Know? Well, detachment is really a big one yeah. as, as a coach because one of the hard lessons that I've had to learn, and I'm curious what this was like for you, but was learning the lesson that I'm not ultimately responsible for my client's change and growth. Right. Right? It's like, as a coach, we often take it so personally if our clients aren't improving or they're not doing the work, but- Ultimately, we're there to just show them the way through our own life and experiences, but we have to ultimately learn to detach from the outcome because we can't control what they're going to do, and that ultimately is their responsibility. And it might not be the right time in their life for them to do this change. They might not be ready for that. And we have to learn to detach from that, or it can really bog down our life because we we could take our work home with us. There's there's different types of clients. Uh, you know, the, the type that everybody loves is the one that is, you know, genuinely and motivated to heal and sure. to grow. Then there's the people who whose egos are so big they won't listen to anybody. You know, they, they come to you and they pay you, but they just don't they do exactly what they were doing before. So it's like, okay, well, why are you spending all this money for coaching or therapy and you're going off and working against yourself? Between you know every week you you come back doing the same stuff I've helped uh, helped you try to understand that you know is part of your problem, and then there's also people that have developed such an identity out of their victim archetype, their saboteur, their prostitute, or their illness behavior. For example, you get a lot of this in orthopedic rehabilitation where people have had back injuries for like ten years. But now everybody they know is somebody they met in a waiting room or in a therapy clinic or at a drugstore, and everybody around them has got back pain. And so it's kind of like the Steelers fans love to hang out with the Steelers fans, and the you know, it's classically called illness behavior, where they have become so identified with this broken self that they don't know who they would be. And unfortunately, a lot of them use this as leverage to, you know, use handicapped parking spots, to get first on airplanes, to get uh, workman's compensation so they don't have to work, but they can stay at home and watch TV all day. And they might not be making as much money, but they're happy just getting by. So they don't really want to heal because they're not doing something they love enough to 
be engaged in so they stay stuck in this sort of flatland. You know, I was working and, and still do work in a, uh, a free clinic in, out of Portland. I work virtually for uh, Dr. Gary Reese. Mm, yeah. And it's Riversway Clinic. And, and we see people who can't afford, you know, high-priced coaching. They're low-income families and low-income individuals going through pretty challenging experiences. And we do these group supervisions where, you know, we attend and everyone kind of presents the case and we learn from each other. And one of the, one of the things that blows my mind that happens more regularly than I can count is the number of patients who are complaining they they had some kind of you know monetary windfall come their way like somebody in their family died or some kind of settlement that was positive for them mm-hmm. but they were upset about it because it would actually knock them off their disability right right <laughs> oh, it's like unbelievable yeah um how reliant we get on on kind of just playing it small yes and and, and relying on various structures and systems and people to support us instead of taking it in our own hands. And this for me as, as a therapist and a teacher points back to the importance of having a dream bigger than your crisis. You know, as Jerry West says, if you have a big enough dream, you don't need a crisis. And if a person becomes acclimatized to living in crisis state, then the thought of a dream seems almost um, unreachable to them. But the reality of it is, is a dream can be anything that gives you enough inspiration and levity to overcome the gravity or the inertia of your habits and your programming. And I, I think we as a culture have externalized our dreaming to filmmakers and uh, other agencies and reality TV shows and video games, video games and sports stars and we don't realize life is a particip- participation sport. So I think for me, I found early on that I really had to carefully identify what it was that was a dream, a goal, or an objective that was something legitimate for that person that would inspire them to say, if I make these changes, I get to have more of this mode of playing or this mode of expressing myself or I'll be able to make love without back pain or play with my kids or whatever it might be. And I I think it's a real danger to begin a coaching process or a therapy process without identifying a source of levity. It's it's the number one number one most important thing. Yeah. And and recognizing that in all of these sort of victim cases, and we were talking about this yesterday, that our core powers, what has the potential to make us great is on the other side of the coin of our, our wounding, of which we're playing yes. victim about. Your childhood experience of, of living with a very ferocious stepfather made gave you the drive to become who you are. Yes. Now, it's also your wounding that you have yeah. to deal with over the time and, and, and learn to heal that and, 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 and reconcile that. Yes. The same thing with me. You know, me, you know m- my story of coming home with my first report card and my mom saying it wasn't good enough. That was a big core wound. It hit me so hard, but that also drove me to the peak of success. So it's recognizing that on the other side of the coin of our crises and our nightmares lives our dreams. And on the other side of our our victim story and our woundings, even the most traumatic things, lies the potential to turn that into a power of ours. Yeah, and this reminds me of Joseph Campbell saying, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you need the most. And Oftentimes, the cave we're most afraid to enter 
is the cave in which we were wounded or traumatized. You know, for example, if someone was sexually traumatized, a lot of people are afraid to go back into that experience and really connect to it and be able to bear witness to it without getting caught in it so that they can actually bring it out of the unconscious and into the unconscious. So, you know, if a person doesn't realize that reconnecting to the pain or the experience or the process that wounded them as a witness to it is actually one of the most important things you can do to heal it. Then they just keep medicating it and repressing it, repressing it. And what then this leads right back to, so you have a, a sexual wound, but you keep seeing therapists for chronic SI joint dysfunction. They can never stabilize your pelvic girdle yeah. because they're treating the SI joint. They're not treating the, um, the energetic imbalance that's mirroring itself in the instability of the pelvic girdle. Yeah, or you continue to get into relationships that are challenging for you and, yes. and keep replaying the same thing. And, you know, th this is a very, dealing with trauma is, really does take a quite a skilled therapist who yeah. knows how to go at the right pace. Yes. I mean, taking somebody who's been sexually abused and saying, look at it on the first day is a little, <laughs> little aggressive. You're probably yeah. going to put them into a state of shock. But, yeah. you know, having a, a long-term approach to slowly building trust and slowly, um, you know, you could do things like working with a pillow or things outside of yourself or mm -hmm. puppets or various I, different I have tools. A lot of people journal it and yeah. I, I have them do their own timeline. So, you know, what happened from the time you were born till now? Where were your illnesses? Where were your big, uh, you know, your five most stressful events? Where are the things that were very positive for you, but very scary, negative, or painful for you? And so by actually just asking them to do that they have to go back into the memory files of okay this happened to me when i was seven but oftentimes what happens is when they see that the positives often counterbalance the negatives so if i didn't ask them to put the positives on there they would just think oh my god i'm just one train wreck after another but i've literally had many people sit down with me and say you know until you had me do this exercise I didn't realize that I had so many beautiful things happen in my life as well. Yeah. You know, the hard, the hard pill to swallow, but it seems to be the truth, at least in my experience, is that, you know, we would never condone, we never would want to repeat the actions of an abuser, right? We, no. would, we don't want to treat our children the way your stepfather treated you or anything like that. But the, the reality is, is that it seems as if even in the most horrific experiences, if you deeply go and your coach to go back and look and learn from those experiences, there seems to be always some kind of power that you can cultivate and harness for that that could change the course of your life. I mean, look at how many brilliant scientists and doctors and authors came out of the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. Look how many people have been sexually abused and then have, you know, won landmark cases in the, you know, high courts of the land protecting people from yes. that kind of work. So. Yeah. There's always something to go back and explore, even the power that that abuser took away from you, even momentarily, to go back and find it back in yourself. Yeah, and reclaim it. Yeah. And oftentimes in these scenarios, one of the things that we do is we sort of internalize the abuse. Yes. If we're getting beat up as a kid, we start beating ourselves up. Yes. And often as a therapist, it's it's our job to recognize that in the client and then to help them, you know, flip the coin on that. Yeah, exactly. Whenever there is a client-coach relationship, the interaction of the soul of the client and the coach produces what is called the third 
in Jungian psychology. The third is a living consciousness, conscious entity that embodies the wisdom of both client and coach and brings often amazing breakthroughs for both the client and the coach. I feel this understanding is particularly important for life coaches to understand because it is a common tendency for doctors, therapists, and life coaches to act from a hierarchical stance as though the knowledge, power, and control moves only from them to the client. In such a situation, the coach, doctor, or therapist's ego may block awareness of of the incredible gifts that the client's present in their life ultimately brings them and can result in a complete unawareness of the power and the magic of the third. You and I have engaged the third so many times. Right. All of a sudden, one of us would have an epiphany that would feed the other one something. Oh, like, oh, God, that's what I got to do, you know? Or I'd be working with you and you'd say something that would make me, oh, my God, that's exactly what I needed to know for this problem I'm dealing with over here or even another client. Right. So, you know, the, the concept of the third is something that's very seldomly understood but very, very powerful. And it goes right back to Jesus saying, whenever two or more get together in my name, I will be there. Yeah. And really, if you think of not Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus the Christ principle, which means unconditional love or, or God consciousness, whenever two or more get together in my name, I will be there, which is the love of the two creating a third being out of the two of them. And I think it's such an important concept because if a person falls into the trap of thinking, I'm the one with the degree in psychology or I'm the therapist, so I'm just going to direct this like a traffic cop, then you actually overlook the amazing gift that spirit has brought to you that manifests itself in the third for both parties. You know, you can only attract a client to you of the level that you've achieved, right? Yes, yeah. I mean, you're, you you tell your students all the time. You know, if you if you keep having clients show up with poor diets and you know that don't do their exercise programs, look at your own life and look yeah. into the mirror to see what you're creating. Yes. So, you know, an overweight unfit doctor or an overweight unfit a uh, therapist or trainer is going to attract that same level of of person to them the same the same in relationships right yes. so we are attracting to us the kinds of clients that are reflecting our own awareness our our own development right yes. so every single time a client comes to you with a problem you need to actually say to yourself where even in some small way is this part of me? Yes. Where do I have this issue? Where do I have to learn from this? Is it a like attracting like? Is it a like attracting like? And even if it's not like a big thing, like you could just find a drop of it in your life where there's something that the client is bringing to your own awareness as well that can help you grow. And in that way, like in our relationship and my relationship with Jeffrey Armstrong, you know, we all say to each other that being the teacher doesn't mean you can't learn from the student. Right. There is a reciprocity that happens when the student becomes developed enough to come to the table and you know there's still the same attitude. I still have the same attitude of, you know, humility and and humbleness and trust in you, but we also have a relationship where you learn from me and yeah. I, I mm-hmm. and Jeffrey learns from me and yeah. vice versa. And you know this whole idea of the third is so profound because you can you can look at it in, in many different ways, not just a coaching client relationship, but even as an investor. Okay, when I was investing, and this is something I teach in my course, if you look at the kind of style 
that really pisses you off about the people you worked with. Like I was like a go-getter, like risk taker, like Navy pilot on Wall Street, just like full throttle. And I would get so mad at the people that would sit around and would never take a position. Mm-hmm. They'd just come in day in, day out, and they would just kind of like, you know, baby around and never really go for it. But the reality is, is that thing that really pissed me off is what I needed a little bit more of. Yeah. I needed a little bit more patience. I needed yeah. to find that when I took some time off at particular times, I was actually better. Yeah. The same thing in relationships. We get stuck in these roles and you know, we get stuck in these ideas of who we are. I'm the money one. You're the disciplinarian one. I'm the one who does this or who does that. And finding that fluidity, be, being able to go between the polarities of a relationship and then ultimately ourself, mm-hmm. right? I mean, to, to recognize all parts of yourself and to be fluid between all the parts of yourself and create your own inner third. Mm-hmm. And also between your relationships, between your work and your clients is so crucial. Yeah. I think the soul is the inner third. You got your, your ego, you got your self, but then you got the soul that is the consciousness that holds it all together. And I think that's, you know, I think that's really a, a beautiful and reassuring thing because uh you know the soul carries the wisdom of all the lives you've ever lived but your ego only carries its programming in this lifetime and the self is everything that supports you so if you as you say engage your own inner third you can actually find that there's a lot less need to go ask other people for advice because you can find most of the answers to your questions just within yourself. You know what? And if there's one thing that we I could say for this podcast about the importance of a good coaching system and what what it really means, if I could just say one sentence, it would be just that. Yeah. Somebody who can help you find out who you really are. Yeah. Get in touch with your soul. Yeah. And learn how to talk to your soul and use your soul as your guidance. Yeah. I mean, that is flat out the whole key. I mean, all of the things of the diet, the exercise, and you know, all the four doctors and working on the dreaming, all of this is a, is a basically a, a program to be stable and balanced enough to access that inner guidance, yes. that inner soul. And so if you're with a coach or a therapist right now and they don't even mention the soul, yeah. like most of our education systems don't even recognize that that's what we are, yeah. then you might not be in the right place and it yeah. might be something to consider. It's interesting too because in Henry Corbin's work, he speaks of the angel that goes out ahead. He says that we each have an angel that is always going out ahead like a scout for us to you know, let us know what options we have or what to be aware of. And so he he would use the angel out ahead the way I would actually relate to my soul. But he's coming from a uh, you know a lot of Sufism and, and a different background. But it's it's and he actually equates the angel that goes out ahead to Sophia, which is the embodied wisdom of God, right? The consciousness that occurs with us and as an individual, but yet still part of the unity of God. And so I think that. Um, you know, if we all hold the concept that our soul is like the angel that goes out ahead, it's not trapped in our body. You know, I can remote view because the angel that goes out ahead has access to the whole universe. So if I can think of it, I can engage it consciously. And uh, if if you if you get stuck in your ego, then you're you're limited by your program beliefs. But trust me, as you know from spending time working with your own soul, your soul will 
find your edges, you know, it'll, yeah. it'll show you that you can do a lot more than you think you can, whether it be painting better than you thought you could, or lifting something heavier than you thought you could, or handling more in relationship than you thought you could. Hello, my friends and fellow world workers. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm happy to announce that the Czech Academy enrollment is now open. We are limited to 100 spaces for this next intake, so apply early. If you would like a preview of what you will learn in the Czech Academy, I've got great news. The open house is back. It's free for you to take a sneak peek at the Czech Academy e-learning platform where you'll be able to take select lessons from our online courses, including Integrated Movement Science 1, Online, and HLC2, that's Holistic Lifestyle Coaching Level 2 Online, Preview our Academy-exclusive online workshops. Check out our Academy business assets, such as package templates and client onboarding checklists, and more. If you're ready to master yourself and share your love and wisdom in the world and help others get healthy and live their dreams, go to chek.group forward slash open house L number 4D. That's check dot group forward slash open house l the number four d it's not case sensitive there has never been a better more important time for a career in holistic health and i'm excited to be able to join you and support you in living your dreams you know it's funny because the the word guru gets pretty misunderstood in, yeah especially in the west but it's really a kind of interesting concept when you think of the guru is the one who removes the goo. <laughs> That's fine. So ultimately, we have these coverings yeah. of all this stuff, all this goo of this incarnation, yeah. identification with this body and this ego and this primary personality and what I am and what I'm not. And the one who can strip you naked of that, remove the goo, is the guru. Which enlightens you, lightens you up. You become lighter. Yeah, yeah. and guru, and, and these words come from the, the root word of gortas, which is where we get gratitude. Mm. So that feeling of gratitude for the one who can remove the goo. Yeah. You know, open up her eyes, strip us down to the bare essence of who we really are and why we're here. Yes. And a good plant medicine journey is a rapid it's accelerator. A great guru. Of well, that is the thing. I mean, parents can be gurus. A grandparent is an amazing yes. guru. Yeah. Nature is an incredible guru. Yeah. We have our own guru. We have amazing books and amazing songs and, and mantras that can be gurus. Yes. Teachers can be gurus. <laughs> Even ex-wives can be gurus. Oh, yeah. Incredible gurus. Kids can be gurus. Yeah, they they're are. all over the place. I mean, really. It's funny, really. God's sense of humor is unbelievably wicked. One of the most dangerous traps I see therapists and life coaches falling into is accepting most anyone as a patient or client for money versus selecting the right client for their skill set and state of readiness. Can you share some of your approaches to screening potential clients and choosing those that are ideal for you as a therapist or a coach and determining if the client is ready for real life coaching, counseling, or therapy? When I was taking on all these discovery calls for my first cohort of the bonus archetype, I was taking, you know, taking lots and lots of calls and I was pretty excited about signing people up because, you know, I was excited about my program. It's, you know, there's revenue coming in, there's new students, but there was one person in particular. I just felt this inner 
incongruence, uh-huh. right? This is what we're getting back to is, is being able to feel inside yourself what Arnie Mandel would call a double signal. Yes. Is that our words are saying something, but our body says something else. It's yes. a slight headache. It's a slight nausea. It's a feeling in our gut. It's a lack of energy. It's a, uh, not wanting to look at the screen. It's It, it translates in, in different ways for different people. Something out of balance. Something's wrong. But I skipped over that. And I said, yeah, just come on in. And this person wound up to be the only person that, you know, a couple days later, I had to let him out of the course because, you know, he was just not a good fit. And so really paying attention and trusting your own inner guidance and inner wisdom, your body knows. Your body is in this relational field with this person. Yeah. Your body is having a soul-to-soul connection with this yeah. person. And by trusting your own wisdom to feel that sense of congruency, like, yes, this is right. This person is right for me. Yes. I think that's a really important first step. Yeah, your body is the drum skin that responds to the invisible waves of spirit right you you know your body i mean we're 99.9 something percent water molecules which are wickedly sensitive to conscious energies or psychic energies so here we are as a container of water that's like a living aqua antenna for a vast arrangement vast array of frequencies including thoughts feelings and emotions so if people are trying to do this as an intellectual process without paying attention to how their body is responding. Imagine a weather vane, right? All airports have weather vanes so that the pilots know which direction the wind's blowing so they know what they got to do for takeoff. But if you take the sock off the weather vane, it won't turn with the wind. So not listening to your body is like removing the sock from your weather vane. You don't know which direction the wind's blowing. And the wind here is is the the subtle cues of readiness or not readiness or um, mischievous masquerading as real interest. It's one of the ways, that an easy way that I, I work with to get a good sense of if, if a client is a good fit is asking myself, what is the atmosphere like right now? What is if, if this would be a weather system? Yes. Is this a sunny day? Is this a tornado? Is yeah. this a lightning storm? Is this yeah. a healing rain? Yes. Just getting in touch with the, the the feeling that's going on as if I'm talking about the weather mm-hmm. can be a really easy way to tap into whether or not this is a good fit for you with your client. Yes. With rare exceptions, I found that almost everyone I've been a therapist or life coach for has challenges that relate directly to their individuation process and are usually either in some stage of the hero's journey or are having some kind of neurosis, inner turmoil, or illness because of their conscious or unconscious refusal of the call. A lot of people are dealing with inner turmoil, uh, challenges in their life, money challenges, relationship challenges, but they don't realize it's because they're refusing the call to go on their own hero's journey. So it's almost like the world is squeezing them like a diamond saying you're going to end up having to go on this hero's journey or you're going to end up falling into being a victim for the rest of your life. And that'll be the story. That'll be your fate because you aren't participating. You know, there's a real drive for individuation in the soul. There's a real drive for becoming, um, for becoming more, for becoming whole, for becoming self-realized. It's as though the universe wants to acknowledge itself and all of us. It wants us all to wake up to the grandeur of ourselves And so when people refuse the call to go on the hero's journey, they're ultimately refusing the 
opportunity to become aware of who and what they really are and what their potentials are. And it's it's quite common. I mean, I would say 50% of the people I work with are in a state of pathology or imbalance that I could track directly back to the refusal of the call for various reasons. So I'm just curious, what, what do you see in your work with people in that regard? I think it's it's really important what you're saying. You know, I think so much of typical therapy misses that point. We, people come in and they want to just patholo- you know, give them a pathology, right? right. Like medication. Oh, you're, you're this bipolar or you're this, or you're that, or you have anxiety or depression or, or what, whatnot. To me, in, in most cases, with probably some rare exceptions, it seems like most of that is just a spiritual crisis, mm-hmm. uh, an emergence waiting to happen. Yeah. And what these people need is not uh, to be identified as some kind of you know, pathology or symptom or to be medicated, but it's to give them tools yes. to awaken to the spiritual being that they are in their own individuation process. Yes. And really, ultimately, that's where I start my course. It's getting in touch with the dream line. Yeah. Getting in touch with the dream. What did you love to do when you were a kid? Yeah. You know, what were your earliest childhood memories? What 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 would you do if if you only could do one thing for the rest of your life and you could choose anything? You know? What it's that's that's what it really all comes down to. And then getting over the fears of stepping away from normality to enter into an ex- an extraordinary life. Yeah. I think we all have the potential for an extraordinary life. We have many cases of people that came from dire circumstances to become heroes and many great leaders and politicians. And so I know that it's all possible. It's just we we lack um, a system of nurturing that in people in our culture. We all have the exact same amount of God in us. It's just how much a person's willing to unleash. Yeah. You know? Amen. Joseph Campbell's hero's journey process can be broken to stages or steps, and inevitably there comes a time and a necessity for meeting one's mentor so they can complete their hero's journey. I'd like to dialogue a little on each of these stages of the hero's journey, and maybe we can share some aspects of your abundance archetype training program that apply for any of the stages of of the hero's journey that you feel they apply to. So the beginning of the hero's journey is the ordinary world. And I think we've talked a lot about that. So, you know, the as we've become more and more automated and more and more digitized, things are getting more and more mundane. You know, we got more machines doing more and more for you. You've got AI now taking tests for you and, and even changing your photographs so you look like the person you wish you could be, but you're never gonna be until you actually get engaged in your life instead of playing digital games um you know it's almost as though the world's become a factory that is oriented towards money and objects but not toward a deeper connection to spirit love and relationship i guess my thoughts on the ordinary world is that if you want to be an ordinary person which doesn't play out because that's like being an average person then you're probably not going to um, inspire yourself to enter the hero's journey. You're going to just be somebody that doesn't want to 
right the wrong, someone that just turns a blind eye to child pornography and to medical manipulation and political lies. You're just going to be passive, but the problem is you can end up in a cage and be shocked and surprised at how you got there because you didn't do anything, right? Uh, what are your thoughts on the ordinary world aspect? Well, I agree it? with everything you're saying. Yeah. I think the first step in, in this hero's journey is just having the recognition that you're actually aware that you're in the ordinary world and you no longer want to be. Yes. Most people don't even have that wake-up call. I mean, some people come to me and they said, well, you know, I've had this awareness that, you know, I'm um, the job isn't great and the relationship's not great and this isn't great and this isn't great. And I say, congratulations. You're starting the journey. You're waking up. Yes. That's the first step is recognizing, wow, I am in the ordinary world. Right. I'm looking around and, you know, I'm, I'm in, in a job where I'm working for a pension that I'll get when I'm 65 years old, but I have my average lifespan of 71. So I have six years to enjoy that. And I'm looking at the people that are at retirement age and they look like crap and they're not smiling and all these things. And I'm just recognizing, like, wow something's off. Mm -hmm. Congratulations, you're waking up from the dream. Yes. And now it's time to get off that wheel and start on your new wheel of the hero's journey. Exactly. The next stage is the call to adventure, which you've just described. Um, I think, too, the call to adventure for a lot of heroes is often the recognition of some injustice or improprietary behavior, uh, you know, something that the natural hero in us says, I must do my part to rectify this, to balance this out, Yeah, you know, to free the slaves, to um, help the underprivileged, to, uh, to, to support women's rights. To uh, Bobby Kennedy. Bobby is Kennedy. Is a great candidate Perfect. of the called adventure. That's you know, called he, adventure. he doesn't likely need that to do this, but he no. feels called to do it. But he and he feels the responsibility yeah. as as a wise elder and a, and a lawyer and someone who can see the game and see how people are getting trapped. So yeah. that's a perfect example. And 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 by all means, this must be someone like that's fifth or sixth round on the hero's journey. That's the oh, other yeah. thing. You know, the hero's journey is a spiral. It's not a circle. You don't say, "Okay, I've done my hero's journey. I'm done now." I've been on many hero's journeys myself. And I think that's important too, because if you avoid the hero's journey, the demand for heroes is is infinite. Yeah. It never ends. And if you don't engage it, you don't develop any mastery of the process like anything. You know, the way I look at it is that our whole life is one big hero's journey. Yes. That we are on an epic, courageous hero's journey just to come to this earth plane and yeah. participate in this world. Yeah. Heavy polarity. Yeah, we're here, and that's courageous, and we're all heroes in some way, but then we have to awaken to our own smaller spirals that can fit within this larger context of our life's hero's journey as well. Yes. The next stage is refusal of the call. Most calls to the hero's journey have a level of morality attached to them, the protection of life, yeah, the protection of rights. So I think personally... When I, what I've seen is that a person's refusal to the call, which is their soul's calling, actually is a wound. And it, it is the wound of sabotage. It's the saboteur archetype. They're sabotaging their own development because they're letting fear be their seeing eye dog. 
as opposed to seeing this as an opportunity to really contribute to something bigger than themselves. If you are working with a coach or a therapist at that point, it's really their job to to hold you to what Mandel calls your edge. Yes. These moments when we're, we want to do something, but we pull back. Yeah. We've all had these experiences in even a minor way. Imagine we're at a, a wedding and we want to go dance like nobody's watching, but we get shy. Yeah. Or we want to sing in front of somebody and we get shy. You know, there's all these times when we want to do these little mini heroic things. It doesn't have to be this great expansive things, but grow ourselves a little bit more, step over an edge, tell somebody how much we care about them, write a handwritten note or paint a painting for somebody, go over our edge and express yourself. But we pull back, we feel shy, we get nervous, we get agitated or sweaty or, you know, any of these kind of, you know, clammy hands or any of these kind of symptoms. Yeah. You know, in the in the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna is on the battlefield and right at the beginning of this this war, he goes out in the middle of the field. He says, Christian, take my chariot out to the middle of the field. He goes out to the middle of the battlefield and he throws down his sword and says, I can't do this. I can't fight them. Yeah. And Krishna says, you're a warrior. Yes. You know, he says, you got to do this. This is your dharma. Mm-hmm. He's identifying with the householder and, and uh, you know, the fact that he knows people on the other side. And Krishna, as his, as his therapist or counselor, is saying to him, look, you're a warrior. You have to protect the innocent. Mm-hmm. You have to protect what's right. You know, these people tried to ruin you. Mm-hmm. You got to go out there and fight. You got to get over your edge. Yeah. You know, he's saying, he throws down his sword. He says, I'm shaking. I'm trembling. I'm, I'm on my hands and knees. I can't do this. I'd rather die than go on, you know, than go and do this. Yeah. Refusing the call. Yeah. And then he meets, you know, his mentor, which is the next step, which says, you got to go over your edge. You got to go for it. Yes. You know? And that's the next step, as you said, is meeting the mentor. And it's pretty well agreed upon from the many experts I've studied on this topic that it's not likely you can actually make it through a legitimate hero's journey without a mentor. Because usually the hero's journey is a calling that's guaranteed to grow you. You're, you know, and, and many of them are actually risky. Meeting the mentor is, is actually often meeting someone who's done one or many hero's journeys and knows the stages, but also has the wisdom and the life experience to help you see what you can't see. That if you enter the hero's journey without getting the transference of the wisdom and the vision of a true mentor, you may be just too blind to see the tiger that's going to get you. You know, I worked with Paul Tudor Jones for 15 years and he's one of the most if not most successful investors in the world and he worked with tony robbins as a coach yes i mean i've seen just every single person uh, on wall street and in in sports in my own personal development it, it seems like a very very important aspect of the growth and development process that we're participating in this lineage of knowledge mm-hmm. that gets passed down Yes. You know, when I'm working with you, I'm working with everyone who's ever had an influence on you. All these books that you've read, Mm -hmm. all of the different lineages, all the different places you've studied, it's all being transmitted down through you to me. Yeah. And then I'm, I, I hold the responsibility of that Mm -hmm. to pass that on to my students. Yeah. And that's the other thing, response ability, right? It's up to you to take care of yourself such that you have the energy, the vitality, the libido to respond in an able way. Yeah. But if people 
refuse the call to adventure, they almost always refuse the call to taking care of themselves and to be self-responsible. So they lose their response ability. And, yeah. and that's, that's you know, a death sentence. It's a slow, painful, expensive death. And this is an interesting thing in the Native, Native America culture is that when you go to a Native American teacher, traditionally, and you say, can I be your student? Uh-huh. They say, come back in one year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? That you, you're not just doing this willy-nilly and that you're yeah. really committed, that you've meditated on it, that this is what you want to do, that you have the patience and determination to really see through the teaching. And it's not just something that you're dabbling in for a week or two and then, you know, off to the next thing, right? Yes. So there's really like this dedication to, to this teacher and there's a dedication to the body of knowledge. And there's, is that responsibility to the lineage and taking it seriously and embodying it in your life that I think is so important. Yeah. The other thing about the, the meeting, the mentor is that when you study the hero's journey, especially throughout time throughout history there's almost always the inclusion of supernatural forces that are going to be needed in order to deal with the ordeal right uh, you you need help beyond yourself so what i've found in studying many different heroes journeys cycles and and stories from people is that it includes things like spiritual awareness it includes things like belief in angels or connection with your own soul or um, the power of your mind, you know, of devas and demons. Yeah. Um, there, there's always some connection to the spiritual world in real hero's journey training, because if we don't have the capacity to reach for help beyond ourselves, we often won't be able to gain the guidance and the intelligence necessary for the ordeal. Right. The ordeal is usually something that's so much bigger than our ordinary self perceives it can handle that it requires connection to the supernatural. And and look, I, I know a lot of the people you've had as mentors were very well grounded in connecting you to supernatural forces, whichever you want to call it, vehicle of yoga, biogeometry, I mean, these are all dealing with invisible forces that actually have a huge influence on reality. It just seems like it's a, an important point to recognize that we are only one small part of this thing, yeah. right? There's a bigger intelligence that we're living inside of. Yes. These supernatural forces are, are, are the dreamy nature of reality. It's the intelligence that is creating us. Yes. It's not how many times the hummingbird can flap its wing. It's who created the hummingbird? What right. created the hummingbird? Yes. What created all this beauty? It's all of the supernatural that informs life. And we have to get out of the small self, self to, to step into the big S-E-L-F so we can access more parts of ourself and have the tools to go on the hero's journey. Yes. And, and feel supported. You know, like I feel very supported because of my connection to my soul and all the amazing things that have happened that I know my ego could have never managed. Yeah. And also simple things like connecting to nature spirits and connecting to, you know, the spirits of the land or the spirits of the plants and the trees in my office that I love so much, or connecting to the spirits of an animal like our pigs or our chickens and not seeing them as objects just to eat, but as beings sharing their own hero's journey on the planet, you know, and when yeah. the more you connect to life, the more life lives in you. Yeah. That's we, the people. 
Yes, it is. It's not we, the select people. It's we, all the people, all the sentient beings, the rock people, the mineral people, the plant people, the animal people, the people of all nations and all colors. Is we, the people. Yes. And that, you know, that's deep democracy. That's recognizing that every single voice matters. Yes. And it's all informing us and all a part of our own experience that could, that could help us find more of the truth. Yes. Hi, everybody. Have you ever wondered why your blood is red? It's because it's full of oxygen and life force. It's what keeps you going. But what if I could tell you about something else that's red that will add more life force and keep you going? And if you start with a red juice before you have coffee or tea and wait a few minutes, you might find that you either don't need the coffee or the tea or you need less of it. But this time, instead of getting coffee and tea, you got a lot of nutrition and a lot of great stuff for stress management and detoxification. And it's so important. I got Drew Canole. It took me two years to get him to come <laughs> hang out with me and talk about this. I said, Drew, tell me more about your red juice. And he is right here to tell us what is on with your red juice. My kids love it. Everybody I know loves it. Well, I love that we have it for kids. Because yes. when I was a kid, there was this big red dude that would burst through a brick wall and he was like, oh, yeah. He would feed me a glass of 50 grams of sugar, <laughs> giving most people diabetes, yeah. ADHD, yeah. addiction. Obesity. Obesity, all the things, right? Mm. So when we created Red, it was, what's the alternative? Mm -hmm. If we could create something that could create lasting stamina, lasting energy. And then we started to look at our ancient ancestors. Mm -hmm. We talk about the Vikings, mm -hmm. the people that were rowing across the oceans, oceans. for days <laughs> yeah. to go to war. Yeah. What were they taking? Well, they were taking rhodiola. Yeah. Rhodiola is in our red juice. Yeah. And then we were like, okay, so out of all the mushrooms, yeah. what's one of the best medicinal mushrooms that can give us long lasting energy? Mm. We found cordyceps. Cordyceps mm. are absolutely amazing. Yes. Not just any cordyceps or rhodiola, glyphosate residue free and organic. Mm -hmm. And how can we make it taste better then the, oh yeah, you yeah. know, how do we make it taste better than that without the sugar? Yeah. We added a little monk fruit. Monk fruit's amazing. Yep. And we found the best berries on the planet. Mm. Berries in, in high amounts, which we have in the red juice, actually help increase stem cell creation in your body. Mm. What's better than that for our little ones and for us? Yes. And so many people are just lethargic. They're lacking energy. Yes. What could we do for that? Red juice in the afternoon, 2 p.m. rolls around instead of a nap, instead of the coffee. Drink the red juice. You're going to feel so much better. Well, if you need the nap, take the nap if you can, but then take the red juice to kick you back into gear. Exactly. I love naps and I love coffee. I, I do too, but I love to make sure I got the nutrition in me first. You know, the other thing is berries are a natural stimulant to the adrenal glands. So mm. if people would do a little red juice before they do coffee and tea, they would pick themselves up naturally, except this time they're bringing in nutrition. And unfortunately, coffee blocks almost every vitamin and mineral you can put in your mouth. So Hey, there you have it, right from the man himself. So if you're ready to get filled with life force energy and vitality, go to Organifi.com forward slash check 20. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash C-H-E-K two zero. And don't forget to use the promo code CHECK20 to get 20% off Organifi Red Juice and all Organifi products. That's Organifi.com forward slash check 20. And the discount code is check 20. The next step in the hero's journey is crossing the threshold 
And I, I think, too, that that's one of the reasons that a mentor is so important because a lot of people freeze at the threshold. And yeah. I'll give you a good example. When I was a paratrooper in training, a lot of people would freeze in the door and they wouldn't yeah. jump. So, you know, the jump masters would tell everybody before they got on the plane if you freeze in the door, you're going to get a Kiwi injection. And that is the name of the shoe polish on his boots. <laughs> He's going to kick you right up the ass and knock you out the door, like mm -hmm. it or not. Um, but there's, you know, there in a sense is the mentor pushing you across the threshold. And so I think a lot of people, uh, if they don't have a deeper inner life and some kind of spiritual connection and a coach or mentor that inspires them to reach into themselves and to not let fear be their guiding factor, but to really get into life and yeah. fully live it. A simple example of crossing the threshold is when you realize that you're in a relationship with someone you're not compatible with, cool. staying with them for another 10 years and having a shitty relationship is, is a bad way to navigate the threshold. You know, this is the idea of, what you what you speak about as simply as in the gym yeah. improving by one percent a day yes right uh -huh. you know how can you improve one to three percent a day in every area of, of your life yeah how can you express yourself a little bit more how can you create something a little bit more how do, how do you play a little bit more music or dream a little bit bigger eat a little bit healthier drink a little bit more water i mean all of these ways are just small ways we can cross the threshold each and every day in our life yeah and in my coaching sessions you know one of the things that i do is i have to recognize that i have to help people sometimes get over that threshold so if they for example have a, a trouble standing up to somebody in their life i'll often play the role of the person that that they can't stand up to and ask them to try to you know speak to me in the way that they want to speak to me to tell me what I need to hear. Like I'm leaving this relationship or this or that. And often they can't do it. Mm. They freeze. Yeah. Right. And so then we'll switch roles where I'll play them and they'll play their father or their mother or their girlfriend. And I'll stand up to them. I'll, sh I'll show them, ask them how to stand up yeah. and give them a little piece of that. Mm. And they take it into themselves and then we switch back around and they're more capable of then crossing the threshold back in, into me and then in their life. Yeah, that's so good. So sometimes we have to help people get over that edge. A Absolutely. Bit. Yeah. Next stage is test allies and enemies. And I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about that, but if we take sports, for example, if you had no opponent, you would never grow. You know, Kobe Bryant didn't become a great basketball player by himself playing, you know, yeah. shooting hoops all by himself in an empty court. No, no, fighter becomes a champion fighter hitting a heavy bag you know so i think sometimes it's an important reorientation to realize that our enemies are actually strange gifts and that our urge is to get rid of enemies or our urge is to um avoid them but i think when you really learn that the enemy in our spiritual development is no different than the resistance that weight gives us in the gym. You won't grow without the resistance. Point being is that those enemies are always there to grow us. And I think a lot of people get caught in trying to reject them and, and uh, not really deal with them in ways that foster growth. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, the founder of Flow Science or the, the modern day father of Flow Science, talks a lot about this in, in that life, life fulfillment doesn't come from the easy win. No. It comes from win or lose challenging yourself with an opponent that's as good or slightly better than you. 
Yes. And, and the reason being is because the thing that fulfills us in life is not winning, but it's learning and growing. Yeah, and that leads to the next step, which is the innermost cave. And, and I mentioned that earlier, the cave you fear to enter has the treasure you need the most. And I think the innermost cave is something also that we each need to have for ourselves, a place of sanctuary, you know, um, you know, like my sauna is my, my cave. Of course, your innermost cave is inside of yourself. Yeah. But if we have a place that's sacramental to you or that is devoted to retrospection, meditation, talking to your soul, um, being with the, all of yourself, then you're capable of doing the digestive work to work through things that are hard to work through in the hustle and bustle of the day. And I think that all the things that we're talking like about, like fear of crossing the threshold, um, inability to listen to your mentor, refusing the call, those are all indications of potentially shadow tendencies in our innermost cave that are holding the potentials or the keys to the gates that get us out of hell, so to speak. So I think it's important for us all to really recognize that within us we have a place where we can go to deal with our challenges, but the thing that pushes us into our innermost cave is often the unmet task or the blind spots of our secret story that we keep telling ourselves to justify our own you know, lack of participation or fears or whatever. I mean, you know, yes, it's important to have a physical space, yeah. to have your own physical cave, a little place you can get away, even a sacred little altar, depending on how much space you have in your house. Just yeah. even a corner of a room yeah. is, is enough, or a place out of nature or a favorite tree or some nature spot. Yeah. But ultimately, this treasure that we're seeking on this journey is found within. Yes. It really is going within, which is why we call it an inside job. Mm -hmm. That's why in my course I talk about it's really more of a process of divesting than investing. Mm. Getting rid of the excess. Yes. Getting rid of the goo and getting down into that innermost cave, which is ultimately the cave you fear to enter the most, as yeah. Campbell says, and really having a hard look at your life and what you really want and what you really want to create. Yeah. The next step is the ordeal, and I think that's where, you know, that's the trial. That's Krishna and Arjuna on the battlefield. Um, it's saying yes to your sovereignty. It's, uh, it's um, voting with your dollars by being conscious of what corporations you're funding instead of uh, just being passive about it and not caring. Um, the ordeal could be the need for honesty in relationships. It could be the need for... Uh, dissolving a business partnership that's not working for you. Um, it could be a disease process that you're having to confront. And so the ordeal can come in a lot of ways, but I think the ordeal is really the, the, the testing ground. It really is. I mean, everyone's going to die, but not everyone truly lives. Yeah, that's, and, a, that's and, a bummer, isn't it? And that's the ordeal. Yeah. You know, that's the ordeal. And, and, and recognizing that in the ordeal that we are responsible for at least 50% of our ordeal or mm. or 100%. And right. then ultimately the ordeal is there still working for our benefit to mold us yeah. into our greater potential. Yeah. Then you have the reward, which is the confidence and the 
awareness of your own capability to go beyond, to stretch yeah. yourself. And I think, um, I think the reward is also very important because it reminds us that there actually is, there is beauty, there is goodness, and there is truth that comes out of the pain of all the steps that we've just covered. You know, it ultimately, you know, I remember reading about Viktor Frankl when he was in the Nazi concentration camp and he was able to focus his mind on something positive, on how he could make meaning out of this. And, you know, you, you there's many stories of people that were in these Holocaust camps, but survived to go out into the world and really do amazing things for people so the the reward is also um, the icing on the cake, and I think it's important to remember that it's always there. Yeah, and the reward can be these the elixir of life, mm-hmm. but that elixir of life is an inner elixir. Mm-hmm. It's the reward is when you touch that part of yourself that is indivisible, individual, immortal, eternal. Your soul. Yeah. You you. You strip down away from the ordinary world. You go through all these trials and tribulations. You have the mentor, the guidance, the supernatural help. You go into that cave and you touch who you really are and what you really want to do in the world. And that is a reward in and of itself. Then's the resurrection, which is really um, rising up to be that new you. You have the confidence. You have the awareness. You know what's possible. And you know, you're not the same person anymore. You know, it's like the story of Jesus rising from the dead. He was not the same person that got hung on the cross. He hadn't resurrected yet, metaphorically, right? right? So the resurrection is is really the statement that I am. Here I am. I'm capable. I am possible. And I can do this. And then you go from the resurrection to the return, which means... You know, most of the hero, many of the heroes' ordeals are actually bringing us through a process. The hero's journey brings us to a process of achieving some kind of unique wisdom that almost always applies to helping a lot of other people. So the the return with the elixir is not only your your newly expanded enlightened spirit that affects people. But knowing that you now have solved a riddle that can help a lot of others. For a simple example, when I teach someone like you about what gluten intolerance is, and you clear it up, and you start losing weight and looking a lot better, your brain works better, you feel better, your skin's better, you're not farting all the time, you're not foggy-headed, people notice it right away. And they say, how did you do that? And you say, well, I took gluten out of my diet. And you explain it to them. And so what happens is the elixir is, you're now aware of how powerful a simple item of food can be with regard to creating health or disease in your body. And therefore, when you see someone else that has the clear signs of gluten intolerance, you know that now is the time for your return to bring that gift of awareness to people. And I think ultimately, uh, all of us going on the hero's journey and returning with the elixir is, is almost like the... I have in one of my diagrams in my uh, courses and in, in my new book, it's people climbing on a ladder that starts at earth, but ends up in the cosmos, which just represents enlightenment, you know, and at every rung of the ladder, someone's reaching down to grab your hand and you're reaching down to grab the hand below. Yeah. And I think 
when we return with the elixir, it means we reach down instead of reaching up. Yeah. You know? There's a great story about that. They talk about in, in the yogic Vedic culture, they talk about how um, this lineage, this tree of knowledge is this great mango tree. Mm-hmm. But if you just drop a mango from the top of the tree down to the ground, it just splatters on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, you need a, a, a like a chain of people climbing up the tree, passing the mango down to each other so that it can make it safely to the ground. Right. And that's really this passing down of knowledge. And in my course, you know, this is absolutely essential is that when you finish, when you're finished with my course, you recognize that real wealth and well-being are being on that wheel of life. Mm-hmm. Wealth is participating in the wheel. It's being on the wheel of life of being in the seasons and reciprocity with nature, but also this going on this hero's journey, which is a wheel, and yeah. then coming back and sharing with the community and sharing your ideas with people. Because ultimately, it's this recognition that none of us are truly abundant. None of us are truly wealthy until we all are wealthy. Yeah, And then once we have this knowledge, it becomes a responsibility, again, to share it and to help others with it. Well, we've covered the archetypal process of individuation in the hero's journey. Can you share an overview of the types of skills you help students in your abundance archetype training program develop and why you chose to include each of these specific skills or modules from the myriad of options you could have included? Ultimately, it's a compilation of my 20 years of Wall Street experience with the 20 years of coaching with you and many other people, or Mm -hmm. 14 with you, and all sorts of other experiences along the way. And I really try to put it into a one-stop shop so you can find your own process of individuation to master your own life and master your business and an eight-step model to really include all of these different things of working with your unconscious, working with the four doctors, working with posture, working with breathing, working with tapping into your heart, Mm. working on centering yourself and focusing and altered states, and then finally this return with the eldership. And ultimately, I think it's the absolute essential principles that you need in the future to thrive. It's also nice because being uh, participating with your students, I really felt a beautiful sense of tribe, like they were really uh, there was a camaraderie there. It's so exciting for me. I mean, because that's something that was kind of new and, and, and unknown. Yeah. But I've created this community of abundance archetype people that are all on this hero's journey at various stages that are really hungry and seeking information. And we meet twice a week on these group calls, and I bring in amazing people like yourself who get to inspire the students and 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 share different kind of techniques. And it's almost like we have our own private podcast yeah. with, with, with the students. That's and, what it feels like. Yeah, and they get to engage in, in this particular way. And I do a lot of them myself as well and take them deeper into the material. So it's much more than just a course that you have for life. It's really a full-on experience um, of transformation. It's a hero's journey. It's a, it's a real call. I mean, I'm looking for students that really want that call to adventure, and I'm, I'm there to be their guide Mm. on this journey to go into the innermost cave and really find what they are really passionate about in their life so that, that they can live in true abundance. It's it's also got elements of a mystery school in it. You know, we're talking about, you know, learning to connect with your soul, manifest uh, effectively, um, manage yourself in relationships, but it it it's really um, piercing the veil of I'm stuck in myself into, you know, there is a lot out there in relationships and in people and in the divine that's there to help 
me become abundant. Yeah. And in the same way, I show you how to use those same skills to perform better at work. Yeah, exactly. Not just to be, you know, out in, in spirit land. Yeah. How biogeometry can actually improve your focus and performance. Yeah. So you can make more money. Yeah. How eating better and, and following the four doctors can not only make your life more balanced and you can live a more reciprocal life with Mother Earth, but you could also be more successful because now you're treating yourself like an athlete performing your job instead of just eating processed food all day long and, and, and showing up in a, in a sleepy way. Yeah. How to use meditation to grow your spiritual development, but also to gain insight to improve your work performance yeah. and your relationships and mm. your fun in your life and et cetera. It's really an all-encompassing system, but I, I like how you talk about the mystery school because it has those elements cool. to it, you know, because, you know, just the parts that I remember working on with you yeah. to, to develop it and, and knowing what I've taught you and how you've woven that into the course for yeah. people. Um, so it's, it's more than just a, an abundance archetype type program where you'd go to like a school to learn how to make a lot of money. It's, it's really, uh, got yeah. some mystery school elements, you know, it is really that because ultimately, you know, it, it's, it's not easy to teach people. There's, there's, there's no like special sauce. Oh, I'm going to tell you to invest in this one right. stock and then you're going to be a millionaire. Right? right. Ultimately the process of being abundant is, is finding out what do you love to do and what are you good at and, and drawing that out so that, because there's nobody in the history of the world that can do you like you. Yeah. So you become indispensable to to the world. Yes. It's really meeting what is the what is finding what is the demand of the world, and how does it intersect with what do you love to do and do well? Tell us a little bit about how people can get more information, sign up, and uh, what I think you have an offer for Living Four D listeners. I do. You? I yeah. do. I'm very grateful for your audience. I love all of the Czech people. I feel very. I feel, you know, like brothers and sisters, really. Yeah. I love all of you people. And thank you to all the Living 4D listeners out there. Yeah. Just go to my website, really, jasonpicard.org. And you can also get that link on my Instagram, Jason Picard Official. Mm -hmm. And you can learn all about the course. It's going to be, this This podcast should be coming out around February. And that's right when we're going to be launching this new cohort, this really exciting next round of um, abundance seekers wanting to get into the community. And when you go on there you can download my free guide my my eight keys to wealth and well-being which is an awesome manual probably it about is, I love it. 30 pages of <laughs> badass information very that very beautifully laid out very yeah, it's easy to you. read and and uh, very informative i mean that alone is is quite a, a you know a software upgrade yeah and that's free so you know and it shouldn't cost you any t more time money or energy to do it it should just be all a, a positive in your life if you're willing to commit to reading the document yeah. and practicing the exercises in there but you can download that for free and, and get on my mailing list and book a discovery call with me where you get to get on a zoom with me for 30 minutes and find out more about the course and and uh, we see if we're a good fit and then you could join yeah. and if you just say that you heard about this from living 4d or paul check you get a 500 dollars discount off the abundance archetype that's beautiful that's a nice very nice discount so you know I, i've known like i said i know several of my students that are in it and i've heard nothing but excellent feedback and the people that i know that are in your training program first of all a couple of them surprised me because they're already quite abundant yeah like you know steve panico for example yeah steve's no slouch no. He makes a very good living. He's a highly skilled artist. He's deeply spiritual. 
And he's telling me, Paul, I'm really digging this course, man. I'm learning a lot of stuff. So I, I, I'm just pointing out to you listening that you, this is not going to be like being with a bunch of wet behind the ears, little kids that are trying to figure out how to balance their bank account. These are some movers and shakers that just want to really, you know, become even more abundant. We have some incredible people in the course. I mean, we have people that are wall street people that are very successful, but want to transform their life. We have a lot of Czech professionals that want to learn more and grow and learn how to make more money. We have chiropractors and dog shamans and mm, yeah. podcasters and artists and people from around the world. I have people from California to Mongolia in the wow. class. I mean, it's crazy. That's fun. I hope you guys enjoyed the journey with us today, and I hope you have a sense of what real life coaching is all about and what real therapy is about and, and psychotherapy can be about because a lot we weaved a lot of those themes together today. And I hope that this podcast helped you find more of yourself and and hope you feel inspired to engage your hero's journey or your next hero's journey fully and uh i'm i'm really grateful to be able to share this podcast and jason with you and his course with you and um me with you and you with me so thank you we all have our big third together the living 4d followers we have a great big third we're influencing the world Thank you to my sponsors for all of your excellent products and uh, for your sustainable and regenerative practices to help make the world a better place and take care of the soil and the environment. And uh, all of you that buy anything from our sponsors, you're really putting your money in the hands of people that are doing a lot for the world and not just being wasteful, greedy, uh, toxic corporations. They're all just incredible people with incredible products and uh, anything you buy helps support the podcast. I get a small commission. So I really appreciate uh, you guys using the sponsors for their excellent products so that you can enhance your health and well-being so we all have the necessary agency to uh, make the world a better place for each other. So lots of love. I'll see you next time. Aho. Aho. Aho, great spirit. It is done. It is done. It is done. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Jason Picard. You can connect with Jason via his website, jasonpicard.org, or on Instagram at jasonpicardofficial. To get your complimentary copy of Jason's report, Eight Keys to Greater Wealth and Well-Being, go to jasonpicard.org. You can also book a free discovery call with Jason to learn more about the Abundance Archetype and get $500 off his course, The Abundance Archetype Method. When you register, just mention that you heard Jason on Paul's podcast to get that $500 discount. Catch up with Paul on Instagram, TikTok, and threads at paul.check or on X at paulcheck and on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4d with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at checkinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and to learn more about the Czech Academy. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. This podcast would not be possible without the support of our premier sponsors by Optimizers, Organifi, and Paleo Valley, and our podcast sponsor, Wild Pastures. Please show your appreciation by taking advantage of their special discounts for listeners. The links are in the show notes. 
And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review on the podcast platform of your choice. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, and YouTube.